my dudes! Are you ready, Dad? Let's hit the EAC! Righteous, Squirt! Hey, human dudes! It's the Crush Man! You're about to enter the Big Hub Blue! It's awesome! But first, a rundown of safe surfing techniques. Keep your hands, arms, legs, feet, and fins inside the shell. Stay seated and watch those little dudes, okay? Now grab shell and rock on! Yeah! Come on, Dad! Welcome to episode 19 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast, All Things Magical and Disneyland Paris. I'm Andrew Williamson and I'm joined by Simon West. Hello, hello. Each Magical Disneyland Paris podcast episode will have a different focus, be it an attraction, restaurant or special element of the Disneyland Paris world. This episode we are focusing on Crush's Coaster. We will also hand over to you, the listener, and discuss your views and opinions. Hello, Simon. Hello, hello. I'm looking forward to this one. This should be a really good one because, uh, first off, you know me, I love talking about roller coasters. But second off, this is uh, this is one of those really interesting rides in the studio's park that's, that's kind of not quite to Disney's standards. So I, I've had a flick through um, what everyone's been sending us in and we've got so many opinions uh, for this episode. It's fantastic. And they're, they're quite a mixed bag. It's not the usual either, you know, uh, I absolutely love it, it's Big Thunder Mountain, or, oh no, it's Armageddon. This is this should be an interesting discussion, I think. It should be, and it, kind of, it goes to say that even though I've been going to Disneyland Paris for quite a lot of years now, and I've been quite a few number of times, um, I, my first ride on this attraction was only on my previous trip in uh, February. Um, so it kind of shows, even though I do love my coasters, uh, Space Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain, uh, Rock and Roller Coaster, uh, R.I.P. Um <laughs> That uh, it does show that it, it mainly because of the queue, and we'll get on to queue line uh, later on. Um, but it has taken me quite a while and quite a few years, like probably even more than a decade now, um, actually to get onto the attraction. Yeah, I mean that doesn't surprise me. I mean, again, we'll get onto it later, but with the listeners' opinions. Uh, but the the queue is a is a big big problem with Crush's coaster. I mean, not just because the queue is itself really big all of the time. Um, but because the, the queuing system's, well, it's hideous and it's boring. <laughs> Which, you know, Disney usually does a fantastic job of sort of keeping us at least vaguely entertained while we're in a queue. Or, you know, sometimes we have to converse with the other people who we're at Disneyland with. Which is painful, but, you know, we, we do it. We do it. But the queue in Crush's Coaster really is a sort of... I mean, it's it's the pre-show of Armageddon, isn't it? Oh. It sucks. <laughs> um, did you see the other day uh, Pharrell Williams? Um walking around Walt Disney Studios. Um, he I don't know why, but he focused on Armageddon, and he was just outside there, just saying, I'm in Walt Disney Studios, yeah, man, yeah, man. Outside Armageddon? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> See, I mean, imagine if you went in to Armageddon in the pre-show, and it's just Pharrell Williams doing a gig. Nothing to do with that Armageddon. Actually improve like, it. Sing the songs or anything. Just, just doing a gig. I think that'd be fun. Or Crush's Coaster Cube. Well, as we're talking about that attraction, I think that would be quite a good uh, a good one to mention. We'll put that I in. Just the... tried to segue. <laughs> we'll put that into the uh, the, the pre the, well the queuing area section of this podcast. Um, I just remember I mentioned there um, not having ridden, ridden the attraction in ten years of trying. It wasn't me in the queue for ten years um, <laughs> waiting to get onto the attraction. I just couldn't really face the queue. Um, we'll get to that point anyway when we get to it. Um, it's normally this time where we talk about the history of the attraction, um, but it, there isn't really much history to it. It kind of is 
the way it has been since it opened. Uh, it opened on June the 9th, 2007. Uh, it's part of the Toon Studio section of Walt Disney Studios Park. Uh, it's created by Moira Sone. Um, it's a steel spinning coaster and it's enclosed, obviously. Uh, it's in the dark a lot, but all of it is. Um, duration, 2 minutes and 20 seconds. Feels It actually feels a lot longer when you are on the attraction. Um, whether that's because you are queuing for four hours or ten years in my uh, case. Um, <laughs> capacity. Uh, this is probably one of the reasons why you do queue for so many decades. Four guests per turtle shell, and then there's only 12 turtle shells in, in the whole attraction. Uh, the maximum speed is 60.67 kilometers per hour, uh, which equals 37.7 mph. The highest drop as well is 15.5 uh, meters. Some nice statistics there. Anything that stands out to you, Simon? I'm surprised there's only 12. 12 cars that, you know, ever. Is that 12 cars total or 12 cars that can operate simultaneously? Good question. I'll, I'm going to say it's 12 cars that can happen at once. Yeah, probably, know, that would... There'll be more... Because you've, you've always got sort of two or three in the station at any given yeah. time. You've got the pre-show section um, where you could probably have a few. You... You often tend to sort of get stopped at the top of the chain of till to wait for cars to clear the next block section. So yeah, could could well be twelve operating at once. Yeah. Um, when I'm thinking no, when I'm thinking back to uh, last, uh, what well, my first and only ride on it in uh, February of this year, um, there wasn't many occasions when I did stop at a, um, a brake stop um, on a chain hill or anything like that. So the, obviously, a lot of it is the uh, I'm going to say free wheeler section. Um, in the uh, gravity room, uh, which we'll talk about uh, very, very soon. But I don't remember actually stopping at all once you've got to that section. So it's obviously well timed out and there are emergency brake zones uh, in the attraction as well, just in case of emergencies. Um, but yeah, if any more than 12, then you'd probably be having to stop a few more times or the track would have to be a lot bigger to uh, be able to fit extra turtle shells on there. Um, before we re before we press record as well, Simon, we're talking about the maximum speed, uh, 37.7 miles per hour. Um, it's, it feels faster than that. Um, when I am sat in my car at 37.7 miles per hour, stuck behind somebody on a 50 or 60 road, um, you feel like it's going to take you forever to get to the destination. It's so slow. I mean, admittedly, when you're in your car, though, you're not strapped to the side of a turtle shell in the East <laughs> Australian current, Andrew. <laughs> That's what I'm missing out on. I should paint. Is, I should paint my uh, my car as a turtle shell and just drive it from the roof. Ah, uh, but then you'd have everyone wanting to get in your car, and you'd have to wait ten years to drive your car every time <laughs> you wanted to use it. Not convenient. That would save me some money putting diesel in it, though. <laughs> Certainly would. It's uh, it's great. I mean, you you know, just under forty miles an hour doesn't doesn't sound particularly fast to us, though. For for a sort of family roller coaster, that's that's fairly fast. But you really get that sense of speed because, I mean, first off, you're in, your, you're in the dark, so you don't, you can't focus on sort of objects in the distance that make your own speed uh, seem smaller, and it's only ever sort of things that you'll just be able to sort of, will catch your eye when they're when they're near, nearby and they're whizzing past. Uh, and secondly, also, of course, you know, when you're spinning and you know you're you're not very enclosed at all uh, in the in the turtle shell cars, which are you know very very well designed, so just feels like so much more yeah and um, we'll start a little bit we'll start on about this actual story now um so yeah apparently um 
we always take our information from different sources. Well, don't take it. We take inspiration and use our research skills to put together our notes. Um, but yeah, the placemaking began in as early as 2006 to improve and expand the animation courtyard area within Disney Studios. Um, it was completed in 2007 and the area was renamed to Toon Studio. Uh, as with Disneyland Paris uh, for a while, seems to have changed a little bit now uh, since the Walt Disney Company taken uh, full ownership. But no true official press announcement was given until the uh, launch of the resort's 50th anniversary celebration on the 1st of April 2007. So only a month or two before the actual, well, it's just a month before the launch of the attraction. Uh, so how, <laughs> how you miss, what, what is that big blue building that's appearing over there? Oh, nothing, it's just some kind of uh, cleaning area that we've built for the staff. <laughs> it's it's like, amazing, isn't it? I mean, still, still, you know, when we got to Ratatouille, the, you know, the, the building was half constructed before they even confirmed that there was going to be a Ratatouille attraction and still gave us very little information then. <laughs> a month before, wow! I mean, you know, maybe, maybe the, you know, they just people like surprises. They thought, um, but uh, I mean, I, I wasn't hugely engaged in the sort of uh, the Disneyland community back then because you know I wasn't very old ten years ago, more than <laughs> ten years ago now. Oh dear! Um, but uh, I, I'm sure there would have been leaks of plenty coming out to, uh, that would have meant that certainly the people in the loop would definitely have known that this was a a. Uh, Finding Nemo themed coaster. Yeah. On the corner. Um, so yeah, you enter the uh, the backlot of well, Toon backlot of Toon Studio and stumble upon the beached sound stage and film set of Disney Pixar's Finding Nemo. Um, it's themed as Sydney Harbour, apparently. Obviously, that's what they're trying to go for. Uh, where Crush and his friends invite guests to climb aboard turtle shells for a ride through memorable scenes from the movie. You've gone so fast, I can't remember any of the scenes from the film. Are they? I, I wouldn't describe them as memorable scenes from the film. I mean, they're definitely inspired by the film. Oh, def definitely inspired, yeah. Um, we will go through each scene, uh, scene by scene, uh, but some of the main areas that pop out, uh, the Great Barrier Reef, uh, you've got Nemo and Squirt, you've also got um, some glowfish, glow I can say that word, glowfish, and you've got sunken submarine. Um, that's, to be honest, all, that all happens within the first five or six seconds of the attraction, and then you go past... Uh, the sharks and their chief bruce Godai bruce and then that's it you're into the uh, east australian current uh ripping and riding all the way through there on your turtle shell yeah i mean the ride really is broken down into sort of those two main sections you've got that first bit uh with the uh with the initial outdoor section after a tiny little lift hill to start off with uh and then following into into the really quite cool dark ride section that they have before heading up the main lift hill and into the gravity section and I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Crush's Coaster was one of the first proper Disney roller coasters that really utilised the kind of separate, you know, gravity section to dark ride section that, you know, I think now is becoming more common with things like the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. Yeah, I think you're correct there. There's been a lot since then, hasn't there? But I can't think of anything um, beforehand. Um, a lot of them, obviously, the this, the, uh, the two roller coasters we've got at Disneyland Parable, three roller coasters we've got uh, Indiana Jones, which is outside, and then uh, Space Mountain. And there's no dark ride section to that, is there? It's just the, the coaster itself. And then the same with uh, Aerosmith or Rock and Roller Coaster, Avec Aerosmith. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it is kind of good to set the scene, isn't it? Obviously, we talk about Disney um, being the master of telling stories, um, and they do that with this, don't they? You set up the story, 
um, in the dark show, well, the dark ride element of the attraction, and then you blast off into the uh, the gravity room. Um, before we go into that in more detail, let's talk about the show building itself. It's quite strange. I'll put it that way. Obviously, when you're standing far back from it and you're nowhere near it, it's the, the, the Studio 5 building is towering above a lot of stuff in that area, a lot of the other buildings in that area. Um, but then when you're quite close to it, you've got... It's a bit, I've described it here on the notes as a big blue box. Um, there's some paintings of some turtles on it. And then again, if you get closer even still uh, to the outdoor section of the attraction, then you've got the rockery, uh, which is painted the blues. Um, and in the, dark, in the dark, it is quite impressive when you are standing up there close. Um, but again, you've still got the square blue box. And then the Studio 5 towering above it in the background. Just, But if you're really close to it, it's kind of peeking over, spying on you. Definitely. So... The, the attraction was built when the studios was in a very awkward phase of did it want to stick with its original theme of being a studio themed park? Well, yes, but then I think by you know the 2007 point they definitely realised that it wasn't really working properly. So at that point you also get this this sort of strange mixture of okay, well we've got a huge show building. Okay, well we can you know cover it by making it a studio. It could be Studio Five, that's fine. Uh, but then oh, we need to kind of theme it a bit better than that. So let's yeah, let's make the front of it with this nice rock work to you know frame frame that sort of small drop section after the first tiny lift hill. And we end up with this kind of confused show building that from a distance works quite nicely because you see you see the studio 5 and it fits with the rest of the things um, and if you're right up close it's fine because you're you're pulled into this nice rock work even though to be honest the paintings of the turtles kind of make it look a bit tacky but then at the <laughs> mid distance it, it does just look strange because you you have a mixture of okay well we bothered to theme this nice bit at the bottom but then and as you work your way up it just gets sort of crappier and crappier I don't really have a particular problem with uh, them having tried to stay with the Studio 5 um, theme with, because at, at the front you have the rockwork section and the, and the blue box as you say but, and there's quite, a, there's quite a bit of depth between that front facade and the facade of the studio. Yes. But what annoys me is that they never bothered to fully theme the blue box. I could understand them fully theming the blue box and then keeping a studio behind it because that's kind of like oh well you know overall theme, you know, in the background is the whole park and the studio theme but in the front theme, you know we, we did it properly, but they never really did and they could have done something like you know, frame the whole thing in that rock work and then make a bigger deal of you know, that blue undersea rock work connecting up to the cars rock work for the uh, for the rally ride or maybe having some, some rock work for Agrabah, for the flying carpets, or even if you had that front section, maybe with that same rock work on the bottom, but then where the big blue box is, if maybe you turn that into uh, the harbour front houses like you have in the station for Sydney, yeah. that would then connect up to the queuing system on the side, so that then you have, instead of a horrible blue box in the foreground, you then have sort of three layers of front layer being the rock work, kind of mid-upper layer being something else, maybe, maybe a harbour, and then in that background that is you know still has some depth away from it. You then have the studio theme. Yeah, but right now what we have is is quite confused. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. It's not the biggest problem in the world, but I feel like uh, if this attraction wasn't being created in the time when the studios park really didn't know what it was, we 
probably would have got a less confused exterior. Yeah, it's kind of how I describe a lot of teenagers, isn't it? It, just, it doesn't know where it belongs <laughs> in the world. <laughs> it's about 13 or 14 years old and has no idea where it fits. I um, think the Studios Park has been in its teenage years for many, many years. <laughs> it's, it's going to be a, a lovely butterfly eventually, isn't it? Once all the extra new land will do. It will flourish. Being added. Um, obviously, one of the main draws of the attraction, or one of the best bits of the attraction, is the um, the outside section on the roller coaster, or the dark ride part of it, even though it's outside. <laughs> dark ride outside. Um, <laughs> would it be more sense if... Because obviously they've, they've put the rock work in there because the ride comes outside, the attraction comes outside, and the, the coaster comes outside of the building. Um, if the coaster didn't come outside of the building, would do you think it could have been easier to kind of um, I don't know, hide it completely and just have the entrance, maybe? The, queue, like the start of the queue ride, uh, line? Possibly, because then maybe you could have uh, sort of squeezed the station into a smaller area. Although I think the station's sort of on a diagonal to the show building because a diagonal would give you the most uh, length to have a station, I yeah. guess. Um, but no, I, I think to lose the outside section would be a real shame. I mean, when you think of something like Rock and Roller Coaster, where you, you can't see the roller coaster at all until you know, you're basically at the station and you can see the launch, compared to where you just get a brief tantalising glimpse of a spaceship being launched out of a cannon for Space Mountain or Big Thunder where you can see almost all of it it's so much more exciting uh, and equally this is a family roller coaster, so I, I think it's nice also to have that small section where people can look at a little bit of it going round and they can know oh it's you know it's a sort of two sided thing you're facing forward you're facing backwards oh it's you know it's going a little bit fast but it's not too much so people can get a good feel for what the roller coaster is going to be like, and also just seeing a roller coaster go around is really awesome, isn't it? It, it is. Look beautiful, even if you're not the kind of person that particularly likes roller coasters. I think everyone can appreciate that they have a sort of majesty to them. Uh, so, yeah, it would it would be a real shame to lose that. Although, as you say, having a perhaps a, a uh, yeah, in some cases maybe just having a, a plain box to theme could have been easier, but then. I don't know, maybe in other cases, square boxes don't ever look good, so they would have had to have done something to make it not a square box if they wanted to theme it properly anyway. Let's move on to the pre-show and queue area. Um, it's a mix of inside and outside queue. Uh, there isn't much of it. Uh, when when you see the wait times on the board and for the single rider and for the standby queue, you kind of think, wow, that must snake and switch back. I now know the word, it's in my head. Uh, switch back, <laughs> switch back, switch back. Um, there's lots of switch back on this, and like I say, a lot of it's most of the uh, the the queue area is outside, underneath the shelter. Um, and if you look at the if you look at any images from the original uh, opening of the attraction, uh, the queue line had some nice. I don't know, it kind of had more space. There was a lot of more theming in the middle of the queue, uh, and they've obviously needed more capacity in the, uh, the queue line itself. So they've taken a bit away, a little bit of the. Uh, dead space in the middle and added extra lines in there. Um, again, it's not much theming in the outside bit. Um, I remember them redesigning, so I think it was when we just first started Magical DLP website and Twitter account, um, the, the huts at the start where you've got the wait times um, and where the, the, the cast members um, control entry into the attraction and measure the, the kids and stuff like that. Um, that has uh, been re-themed 
since before it uh, was since it opened. Um, and even now, I think that they've just reopened Crush's Coaster from a little short refurbishment. Um, and from the pictures I've uh, got in front of us now, um, that has been freshly repainted. Um, there's not much theming in the queue area outside. You've got some trees. Uh, there are some signs for uh, different characters and different products uh, based on the Finding Nemo film. Um, you've then got some of the um, paintings on the show building and some like a fake building. Um, just before you enter into the inside area of the uh, the queue line, have you know? Have you uh, you weren't there when they tried the mobile phone game, Simon? Were you? No, I never did get to try it, but it was an interesting it was an interesting idea. Basically, there was, I mean, you know, basically since the attraction opened, they realised there was a problem with the queue always being too long and it being too boring. Um, so at one point they launched a they launched a sort of mobile phone game that you could that you could play via the internet while you were in the queue and the, they used the posters uh, on the sort of show building wall to to tell you about this and it I worked for I think a few months on and off but it never really went anywhere they never kept it around. No, well in February again when I was there well, February two thousand eight we tried. Because obviously the the idea was it had its own Wi-Fi in the queue area, so it, with your smartphone you connected to the Crush's Coaster Wi-Fi. Uh, you then visited the homepage on your browser, and that took you to the uh, the game. Um, tried that, the Wi-Fi was down, so we couldn't connect to it whatsoever. Um, it still officially says on the Disneyland Paris website that it is available. Um, oh, so right. unless they haven't updated that. Maybe it's intermittent, or maybe it's down now, seeing as our park-wired Wi-Fi is in testing stage at the moment, and it's going to be well, it's going to be up and running very, very soon for both the parks in uh, the full area. Um, so maybe it's going to kind of uh, be updated soon, hopefully. Uh, but it didn't work, um, which was a shame, especially when I had a five-year-old in the queue with me, uh, waiting. Uh, talking about when I actually, the reason why we did do the attraction, and uh, we went. Um, when it was Season of the Force, and obviously they've got the Tower of Terror um, Nighttime Spectacular um, projected onto the, sorry, the uh, Star Wars Galactic Celebration, which was uh, projected onto the Tower of Terror. Um, while everybody was waiting for that to start, and there was still about, I think there was still about half an hour left, the um, the queue for Crush's Coaster was 25 minutes. Uh, I think we'd done it in about half an hour, so as, as we left the attraction, uh, we ran straight to Tarot Terra and we got a perfect place at the back to watch the uh, Star Wars Galactic Celebration. Everything worked out well timing-wise. Um, but yeah, we managing to do it in 30 minutes was quite um, quite a good uh, call by me to run over and see what the <laughs> wait, wait time was like. Um, yeah, there's not again, there's not much outside. Even though they did introduce this mobile phone app, which did work for a little bit, and it was um, I think it was racing through uh, some kind of water scene in the sea or in the ocean uh, to catch different things um, but yeah, uh, the switchbacks loads of them as you're going forward, you then turn them back you're then going forward again, you then turn them back and you, it's one of those things where you, you see people and you keep seeing them over and over again and mm. they're always in front of you, then they're behind you then they're in front of you and you just kind of, I suppose it doesn't, time does go by quick enough I suppose because people still do it and I still queue from most attractions um, but yeah, the, uh, it gets more interesting though when you get into the inside section of the queue, because um, that's when you start to see, well the first thing you pass is the TV, uh, which gives you the safety spiel, 
Uh, no pregnant ladies. If you've got any heart conditions, don't bother coming into the attraction, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, uh, we've got the book bunch you go past that. It starts getting interesting because obviously the queue then goes up and over the actual station. And you then go into a little, um, well, it's a themed kind of little booth, kind of thing that you walk through and then down uh, onto the actual station. Um, the fast, well, the fast pass, because I wish there was a fast pass on this one, and I've tried it many a time. The um, single rider queue goes in on the, once on the other side, and you're coming in over the station uh, from the standby queue. Um, yeah, it says the, uh, there's been numerous testing over the years, and they did do one quite recently for the fast pass. Um, and it just hasn't worked. Um, have you heard anything about that, Simon? Why? Well, have got any opinions on why you think FastPass just isn't working on this attraction, the way it's been set up? Well, if you could only have roughly 48 guests on the attraction at once, if you start splitting, say, if you do one turtle FastPass, one turtle to the normal queue, I mean, the normal queue is already so slow that I mean, then they're just neither queues effectively going to move, so you just end up with two pretty unhappy queues. Um, whereas, of course, single rider, uh, which um, is is properly in place, they did try switching the single rider out to fast pass quite recently. Um, single rider works fine because when you you know you've got a turtle with three people in, you need to pop another one in. That's fine. You know, actually, you're, you're maximising capacity and you're not stopping the original line from from moving forward as well. Um, yeah, it's it's a difficult one because the the queue for Crosses Coast, I mean, as you said earlier, it's been, the main queue's been expanded at least twice. The first time when they made the switchbacks in the covered area um, tighter and the second time when they added the hut outside. They also, they didn't used to be a sort of proper fenced queuing system around the outside. They used to just put up rope fences um, in that outside area by the hut. Uh, but they decided that that was... It was so busy. It was such a popular attraction that they they had to they had to fence that in as well. I mean, you're doing well, I think, if you can get on Crush's Coaster with the sort of 40 minute queue. It's the sort of that's the point where if you see 40 minutes, you should probably go for it. Um, but it's often it's often well over an hour. I wonder um, whether Disney ever actually expected Crush's Coaster to be this popular because they, you know, they, they didn't put much effort into the queuing system. They've had to expand it a few times. Um, they, you know, they, 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 they launched this game, which is strange because Disney's normally about get off your phone and enjoy this magical world, enjoy the company of the people around you. So to launch an app for people in the queues is sort of a bit weird. They announced it very late. It's never sort of been treated as if it's, you know... It's never pushed in the brochures as if it's one of one of the great e-ticket attractions, and yet, of course, it is. It is a roller coaster, usually a a big crowd puller. So, and of course, you know, tied with the fact it has a very low capacity itself. So, I I wonder whether, to be honest, Disney have just been shocked by the appeal of this attraction ever since it was built. I mean, in that in that time, um, you know, the 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 big additions to the park were was the was Tower of Terror. Really, was what they expected the big crowd pull to be for sort of the, the few years around there so yeah i would would imagine <laughs> the hope and crushes coaster sort of tucked away at the side of the park and thought oh they'll like this but i, I should imagine that quite how much people have liked it or or at least how how annoyingly large a queue can become when you have a low capacity ride i, th I think it's probably taken them by surprise 
Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, obviously, the uh, height requirements maybe have something to do with it as well. We 1.02, I think, or 1.04 or 5. Uh, so it's just over a meter, I think, you need to be to get on this attraction. Um, and if you're like, kind of, I think it's actually the same for Tower of Terror. Uh, but when we give Noah, my five year old son, the option, do you want to try Crush's Coaster or do you want to go on that big, massive Tower of Terror that you can see when people are screaming in front of you? And um, <laughs> he obviously picked Crush's Coaster because he only seen a little outside section and it was Finding Nemo, so it's obviously a nice little kiddie ride. Um, so I can imagine adults and children alike probably are intimidated by Tower of Terror. You need to be a certain type of attraction thrill seeker uh, to go on that, yes. whereas you can probably... It is it is more f like family fun, isn't it, going on like this little spinning coaster, even though it is more intense than I actually expected. Uh, we'll get onto that when we're talking about the attraction itself. Um, but yeah, I think that there's actually... Alan Cafe Fantasia kind of introduces an idea which is probably ideal to fix the problem of the queue line if we had unlimited funding, uh, um, which probably isn't going to happen, especially as we've got about three or four, well, three, definitely three lands being created uh, in Walt Disney Studios over the next 10 to 20 years. So, but we'll come to that when we get to the listener opinions. Um, that will then explain some amazing ideas of how we can increase the capacity of the attraction. Now, let's go on to the technology behind everything in there. Uh, so, obviously, as, as, as well as the, um, the roller coaster technology we've got uh, we've got black light we've got animatronics that are in there there as well we've got projections and we've got physical props and um, so it kind of this this attraction has everything um, with the disney stamp on it doesn't it obviously um but every main big classic attraction that we talk about in these days has use of black light has animatronics has projections now and it has physical props so it has got all the key ingredients yeah it really does um the the sort of story of the start of the attractions are in theory quite a nice one you start off in sydney harbour which you'd think would be quite nice but um the the, the sets all feel very two-dimensional uh in the station and you know you've, you've got the seagull saying mine 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 which is you know it's really good fun but it, it sort of doesn't doesn't ever quite pull you into into the vibe of sydney harbour um but then you get, you know, you you go on the, the small lift hill and you go through the outside section back into the, the dark ride section, and there, you know, that's that's a that's a really fun start to the ride. And you know, the dark ride section, I think, is really fantastic. They, it's amazing how um, just using darkness and the the black light technology and and certain bits of um, actual uh, light as well, really, the colours, you know, seem so vibrant and give a fantastic. You know, deep down into the sea vibe. I I, I think after watching um, Blue Planet two recently, and you think of the sort of incredible things that that showed of of being underwater, and they've captured it really well in that dark ride section of of Crush's Coaster, which is incredible considering it's it's a roller coaster, and that's 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 just the entry point to it. Yeah, when you if you check out on YouTube the making of uh, Crush's Coaster, uh, it's amazing to to think as well that the cast members and the Imagineers, they've actually handcrafted everything that you see there. What's that noise? Um, so every now and again, when a sink <laughs> is used in my old Victorian house, uh, all of the pipes gurgle. I thought it was uh, some kind of. Uh, sound effect for some kind of underwater scene 
<laughs> it would be good, wouldn't it? I'd, I'll record that and I'll send it to Disney and I'll say, look, guys, I've got a, I've got a great SFX for you. <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Yes, the uh, hand sculptured um, cement. I, th- I think it's cement that they've used, uh, concrete, cementy type stuff. Uh, they actually do kind of work and like just sit there with the trowels and create all the different patterns and shapes uh, of the coral uh, and of the rock work. And then obviously the artists go in there with the uh, the paint brushes. Um, and we've discussed this previously on Peter Pan, our previous um, episode and other episodes in the past. Um, but it's obviously a different style and a different technique painting for black light. Because um, obviously you've got to paint certain areas that are going to be highlighted um, and other areas are still going to shine. Um, but need to obviously work them in the right place. And like you were saying, what the, the way they've um, created the underwater effect using all these different uh, techniques. Um, you've also got different um, lights, uh, lighting effects in there. So uh, I don't know if anybody knows, but um, they've got, probably got these gobos, which is kind of like a moving filter. Uh, and as the filter's moving up and down, uh, that's obviously moving the light. Um, it just kind of creates a ripple and water effect. A really, really simple effect um, to do. Something I've actually uh, used myself in the theatre, darling. <laughs> yeah, if you if you want an example of a of a gobo, if you're struggling to picture it, so think of a think of a theatre light. You know, just a sort of normal bucket light. Uh, it's the as as Andrew said, it's the filter that you put in front of it. So say if you've ever seen uh, like a just a, a cross of light on a stage, that's a gobo. That's effectively there's like a put a bit of card in front of it with a cutout of a cross or the cutout of you know some waves and then you spin the filter and it creates it creates that so that's what a gobo is yeah it's a this probably be motorized um because obviously if you don't want somebody having to sit up there all the time spinning them manually <laughs> <laughs> just imagine what's your job well i'm the cast member that spins the gobos for the wave effect um <laughs> That's why the queue line's so long, because it's actually just people getting in to do their job for, the, for that period of time. <laughs> um, obviously mixed up as well in this uh, first section, you've, all, you've got the uh, projections as well. Um, one of the main, uh, most memorable parts of the, uh, of the projection, well not projection, uh, screen technology, is uh, when you come, in, you come around a corner uh, in this dark ride section and you're heading straight towards um, a scene. Uh, before Nemo, uh, who's Nemo? I was thinking of email then. Nemo, um, what's his little friend called? Squirt. You've got Nemo and Squirt right in front of you telling a little story. Come on, let's go. And then you turn straight away. Um, one of those Disney tricks where you think you're going to go towards them into the story and it quickly turns into the next scene, which is the drop into the abyss with the angle of fish. That's the official name for it, scene five. You then go on to scene six, uh, which is the jellyfish. Um, it's actually quite a great effect. Um, it kind of goes really, really dark. And then in, in your above you, uh, you've got all of the jellyfish um, hanging down. Again, we've got the blacklight technology, and it's all the physical props of the actual physical jellyfish. Um, even though we are such big fans of projection mapping, you could enhance these scenes. But I don't think it needs it because of the kind of way that they've uh, used the black light and the uh, the gobo and actual lighting. Yeah, um, I, 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 you know, we've always got to throw in how projection mapping could make things better. So let's say um, the bit where you have the the drop into the abyss with the anglerfish. Well, maybe that's a point where you could put a little bit more rock work around there and then use the. 
uh, use projection mapping on the rock work to sort of show, I don't know, maybe sort of streams of bubbles going through as you're sort of making a dive into a into a deeper trench within the ocean, something like that. It could have some kind of uh, transparent material, obviously above your shell and nowhere near your arms if you were to put your hands up. Uh, like you say, if you're talking about bubbles there and ripples, it could kind of project on these transparent, either whether it was fabric or glass or something like that, just some extra bubbles so it actually feels more three-dimensional. Um, so you're kind of you're close enough to nearly touch it and you think, oh, wow, I'm actually in these bubbles, um, just to add an extra layer. Um, it's that area as well with the jellyfish uh, where you, you, towards you, you see the big submarine and you think, where are we going to go here? And you actually go into the, the submarine. Um, are you aware? You're probably not that there's a, there's definitely probably, I've definitely seen one hidden Mickey in here. Um, on the side of the submarine, you've got all the rust and you've got all these, I don't know whether the rivets are there, like some kind of natural deposit on the submarine as it's obviously been sunken. Um, but there's definitely on there um, a hidden Mickey right in front of you, staring you in the face. Did you catch that one? No, which side are we talking? Well, as in, if you're going up the lift hill, because I recognise that's a dumb question on this ride. <laughs> um, no, it's before you've actually got onto the lift hill. Uh, you turn round, you've just seen the jellyfish hang dangling above you, and you've kind of got. This is it's just as you're entering the submarine. Well, now you know. There you go, right in front of you, just as you enter the submarine. It's actually you turn, just you're turning to go up the lift hill. Um, there's obviously as soon as you get into the lift hill, uh, which is the submarine section as well, uh, you've got a lot of uh, light coming from down below um, of the scenery. It's shining up and it's kind of given a really, really spooky, dark effect. Uh, you've got a lot of metalwork and cog work, um, and again, more physical scenery as you are now entering a man-made structure. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a nice transition as well, um, because you go from the sort of black black section uh, into a submarine that yes, you know you've you've got the sort of physical structures around you, but the way that they do the lighting still has that sort of nice, colourful, cartoonish feel. It doesn't feel like you've suddenly gone from a black light section into a, you know horror film of sunken submarine as it <laughs> certainly could do. Yeah, we mentioned this on the uh, Peter Pan. Uh, episode and you really went into it in really good detail. The transition from, like you were just saying there, from one type of section into another. Now this, the lift hill is the kind of transition, isn't it? Obviously we've got the lot, the really slow windy section of the, uh, the the dark ride element and then as you're going into the gravity building, going up um, the lift hill. The only negative, obviously, this is where Bruce um, and his cronies are kind of popping out at you. Um, and as far as I'm aware, because obviously you, we, have, we haven't really mentioned the spinning element of this, um, the scenes are developed so that whichever way you are facing, you still get the same features. Um, so a lot of the a lot of the um, a lot of the scenes and a lot of the main important focal points are doubled up. So as you're going up the lift hill, um, and if you're facing up the lift hill, you get to see Bruce popping out. Um, it's time so you can see him when you're going up um, and on, on the occasion that I was on the attraction I was actually looking down the lift hill and so I was going backwards up it and again I seen Bruce um, and I responded and reacted to him a couple of seconds after my family did face and the other way um, so it has been well thought out and well timed depending on which way uh, you are sitting on the turtle. Um, yeah I think earlier on in the in the dark section as well the projections of, um, of, of Squirt and Nemo I think they're also doubled up 
to make sure that you know. Obviously, you can uh, you get the storyline of what characters you're following into the deep. Yeah. Um. The only actually the only thing I don't like about the lift hill sequence is the strawblade. Because obviously you've got the natural waves and you've got all the water effects and everything looks really really realistic in a cartoony type way as you mentioned before. Uh, but then all of a sudden you've got this big Australian shark popping out at you with a lot of I don't know really really in your face really sharp straw blight not really I don't know it just doesn't really fit the same kind of effect if you know what I mean yeah I think I'd agree with that the the tone of it's a bit strange as well because um it it's not as if like you sort of have this terrifying huge shark appear and it looks like it's, it's gonna kill you because you know Bruce um and it's it's you know a large sort of light blue you know it, it doesn't look like a shark from a horror film it's not like caked in blood or anything <laughs> um, so to add strobe lighting to it it does seem a bit over the top equally Bruce doesn't sort of appear from like blackness and then suddenly oh it's there and he's huge he's, that's true yeah the, the animatronic's not that sort of sharp and sudden uh, so, yeah, I think you're right. The, the strobe lighting's probably a little bit excessive. It probably looked really good on paper, but then when they put all the scene together with the actual uh, pneumatic or hydraulic animatronic, whatever it might be, um, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't quite all come together in the end. Yeah, and, and obviously, we, when I was on the attraction, it did stand out, and I can remember the strobing, uh, but it's only when you look back on POVs on YouTube. Um, and I know that isn't the... That is not what the roller coaster and the attraction is being designed for. It's not designed for the audience on YouTube. Um, but you can see, uh, especially in that section uh, near Bruce, you can see a lot of the, the technical elements, should I say, like the light. You can actually see the lighting uh, and the actual fittings and stuff like that. So we kind of, I don't know, obviously it's easy to say this looking back at the attraction in like freeze frame, um, but it does stand out a little bit. And it's really, for me, the only section uh, of the attraction that does stand out. Um, taking the strobe away, wouldn't have any detrimental effect, I don't think. Uh, maybe, I mean, we don't we know what Disneyland Paris are like with their smoke effects because they don't really work that well, um, especially on Big Thunder Mountain. Um, maybe they could, if, when they close Armageddon, they could put in the flame effect. Um, the put, underwater put it, flame yeah, effect. <laughs> put it in there. All the smoke well, and the, the uh, what was it, dry ice and stuff like that because that would probably may have more of an effect than a, a, straw, a, dry, a very dry scene because obviously if you're in the water and a shark burst in there would be like a, a whoosh of water wouldn't they coming towards you and you'd you'd feel it so maybe they need yeah. to blast blast some air on you instead rather than strobe lighting alternatively you could take the story in another direction um you know do we do we need to have bruce sort of smash in as if like ah, oh, it's, it's a shark i'm so scared or could that be almost sort of more of a comedy element when we have sort of Bruce talking to us as we're going up the lift hill? You know, does does it need to be frightening and stroby and ah, oh, massive shark? Because Bruce says fish are friends, not food. He's, <laughs> he's a fun shark. What does he say? He does say something on the lift hill, doesn't he? Uh, let me have a look. It's in French. I've got no idea. No, I don't. I, I can't remember what he says now. Um, ah, ah, there we go. That's our podcast question. What does Bruce the shark say as you're going up the lift hill? In English and French, if you want. And spoilers for later, but uh, Alan from Cafe Fantasia says you should say, Hello, possums! Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously he's voiced by uh, the, uh, the the actor or the person, the, the comedian who uh, is famous for Dame Edna, um, whose catchphrase was, Hello, possums. Hello, possums. 
That's better than mine. I, I try, I try. <laughs> uh, where were we anyway? Right, we were in the uh, submarine, weren't we? So, uh, yeah, interior sub and Bruce. Like I said, it's doubled up. So whether you're facing... Uh, I read somewhere that it, there was two Bruce's, but then thinking back and looking at the way it is, I don't I don't know if there was two Bruce. Um, no, I think I'm there's only one. I think there is only the one. Um, and like I said, it's time so that you could get, get to see him at different angles, depending on which way you're facing. Um, when I got to the top of the lift hill, facing all the way down, um, it, I was there for what felt like 10 minutes. So I queued for 10 hours. Well, sorry, not 10 hours, 10 years. I queued for 10 years to get on the attraction, and I think I was there for 20 days. Um, just this hanging. is a perfectly factual podcast. <laughs> uh, I love it. Um, I've never exaggerated, never in a million years. Um <laughs> But yeah, I'm facing down, watching Bruce wiggling his head and the strobe flashing. Um, you, you never never feel unsafe on an attraction, especially at Disneyland Paris, but sometimes if you're there for more than a few seconds, you kind of, your head starts to think, hmm, I wonder if we've uh, 101, I wonder if we've gone 101 on this attraction, I wonder if we've broken down. Um, and normally, a couple of seconds later, then you're off, uh, as was in the case on this one. Uh, but I remember... Uh, don't know if I've mentioned this before on podcast, probably have, uh, on Big, no, it was on uh, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, or Peril, Temple of Peril, that was the actual film, um, doing the same thing, we were just about to go down uh, to the, uh, the 360 loop, and uh, we were in the brake section, and we were there for a couple of seconds longer than we normally are, and then I started thinking, wait a minute, we're not going to go anywhere now, and but lo and behold, half an hour later, we were still there. Oh. <laughs> we did get a fast pass uh, for all six people to come back. Um, sadly, though, that was the last day, and it didn't open again until we got home. So we couldn't. Oh uh, we never actually managed to do the loop. I've done it oh. a few. I've done it a few times, though, so it wasn't a problem. Uh, but linking it back to Crush's coaster, um, I had that. I had that kind of thought going through my head. Hmm, I'll be stuck here. I mean, not because um, it did seem longer than normal. Obviously, somebody uh, in the station was probably uh, needing help in or out because obviously one thing we didn't mention uh, about the station and the cute and the uh, like getting on board the uh, the turtle shell uh, it's a continuous movement isn't it it doesn't actually stop for you the turtle the turtles yeah. actually the keep moving the keep moving but like a kind of like yeah, phantom they, they do try to yeah most of the time they do move um but obviously they do stop them every now and then because they are quite tricky to get into um i always spend probably too long kind of I don't know not daydreaming but kind of going through in my head visually how am I going to enter this ride vehicle I don't, know if you're the, jump. <laughs> I don't know if you're the same or if anybody out there is the same um and maybe it's maybe it's since I've uh, started taking my son uh, maybe I didn't care when I was a teenager but now I'm kind of thinking right well I have to get him in first then I need to work out if I've got time for me to jump in uh, so I'm kind <laughs> of kind of playing all situations through in my head before I jump in and then when I get there everything's fine because you just kind of make it up as you go along don't you this is the good parenting guide <laughs> well that should be another podcast we'll start that off with another time <laughs> um for anyone that doesn't know uh, the reason why um you could get to the top of lift hill uh, and stop or indeed get stopped uh top of a brake section uh in the middle of an attraction is that roller coasters are uh, split into what are called block sections uh, and the idea is that you should never have two trains within the same block section uh, and these block sections are, you'll have the station, then you'll have uh, the chain lift hill, then you'll have these sort of flat brake sections that are always uh, elevated during the normal gravity section. Uh, because 
uh, obviously Crush's coaster has trains that only consist of one car, you need to have these uh, block sections being quite short to make sure that uh, you can have the most amount of trains going round at once uh, without having two trains within the same block section. So that's why you have to wait normally at the top of the lift hill, because you've got to make sure that the first train has cleared that block section and is past the next set of uh, block breaks where you can be stopped to be held just in case the train hasn't, the previous train hasn't cleared that block section. Um, but yes, so that's, that's why you have to be held sometimes. And that's yeah. also why uh, on, on other block sections you can be stopped at the top because if the previous train hasn't quite cleared and you have to fully clear the brake section at the end of the next one um, to, to for the next train to be able to go, if it hasn't cleared that, you have to be stuck stationary there. And it is quite interesting being stuck looking at a shark, looking all the way down to the bottom of the lift hill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously, you know you know the reasons why. It's, it's all for safety and stuff like that. Um, the hardest, well, you kind of give um, the, the cast members and the Imagineers a lot of praise uh, from designing an attraction such as this. And I know this was kind of an off-the-shelf um, kind of ride design. Uh, has been uh, done multiple times at different uh, theme parks and travelling theme parks around the world. Um, but that's something you can do your own research on. Wink, wink. The um, I was I forgot what I was going to say about that. Now we were um, going. While well, well, we're on that, so go on. Um, yeah, so Jumping so while I'm thinking of it. The main gravity section, of course, is uh, that's that's just a stock uh, stock roller coaster made by uh, Mao Schurner. Um So there, there's I think six or seven same same roller coasters that exist with that with that setup from the chain lift hill. Uh, around and uh, to the final brake section before the station. Um, however, the station and the small dark ride section, that's that's totally unique. That's only in Crosses Coaster. Uh, so that was developed with the Imagineers, with the show in mind. Uh, but yeah, that main gravity section, as, as Andrew says, that's, that's just taken off the shelf. I remember what I was going to say now. Thank you for stepping in. I was going to talk about um, designing a, a roller coaster such as this with all the different block sections and stuff like that. Um, if anyone out there has played Planet Coaster um, for the PC, uh, we're not being sponsored by them, if only. I wish we were. Because I could buy a new computer. Because uh, since I bought the uh, the ride, I'm sorry, the uh, the game for PC, my computers started dying very, very slow death. Um, so I need to upgrade it anyway. But um, it's when you start, like, obviously, you, on these. Um, simulation games you can design completely from scratch your own attractions and roller coasters doesn't really go well especially when you're good at <laughs> put in your own block sec brake sections and lift hills and stations so normally when uh, there's been an update or there's a new type of attraction or new type of coaster added i'll try and design my own from scratch and then i always revert back to some stock that's already been put in the library plonk it down give them the money and then move on <laughs> but it, even obviously I know it's just a game and it's a simulation but it does go to show and the amount of planning um, definitely for safety and all the different sections and how they're linked together and how much time is needed to get from one block section to the other yeah so if you if you want lots of trains to be going around uh, at the same time which you really do then you need these block sections these these flat elevated sections to be really high up so effectively what you end up with in a in a spinning coaster with these single single car trains is you effectively do sort of you'll do one kind of roller coaster element a drop uh, or a helix or a sort of half pipe style style turn 
and then you'll be back into another one of these block sections. That's that's to make sure that you know you, you can keep this this cycle of trains going around. It's only twelve anyway. It's you know it's really not many. No, it could have been a lot worse for them, couldn't it? If they had a lot more. Um, and again, it's all that kind of knock-on effect as to why the queue line is so long uh, for this wonderful attraction. Um, yeah. Once we've waited, and it feels like we've now waited for tw 20 hours of the amount we've talked about this uh, lift hill. <laughs> um, <laughs> once you've waited for the next block section to become available, um, once, you've, once you've cleared it, you're flying straight into the gravity room. Uh, you're right at the top of that big Studio 5 building. So once you, if you're outside, once you've ridden the attraction, look it up. Look at the Studio 5 sign. You think, wow, I was actually all the way up there in my turtle. Because uh, you're, you're starting to come down now, aren't you? Gravity's, ta gravity's taking over. You start spinning. Um, it's still controlled. They obviously uh, want you to turn certain ways because the, the spinning adds to the speed, adds to the effect, adds to the G-forces. Um, there isn't really much we can talk about in the gravity section, is there really? Other than the fact that it is such a, a really big thrill. Um, and this is probably a section that either cures or kind of puts people off from the attraction like altogether. Um, you can make or break whether you come back onto the attraction again, can't it? I think so. So you mentioned that uh, the... The spinning of the coasters is controlled. In a lot of these coasters, effectively the way it works is that they're either sort of locked in position, be that sort of straight forward and backwards in line with the track, or locked at a certain angle, uh, and then they'll just sort of unlock them and then they can they can spin freely. Uh, Across this coaster doesn't doesn't really allow the coasters the, the cars to spin freely, uh, and I think that's partly because this is this is a family coaster. They want to make sure that um, it's it's not too intense, as you say that. The spinning really adds a lot of g-forces to it, um, particularly then because you'd have you've got multiple g-forces happening in different directions, uh, which could quite easily make you feel very ill. Uh, and obviously, you could, if you've got kids on a ride versus adults, you could very quickly end up with a pretty uneven weight distribution in this car. <laughs> some some pretty horrible spin cycles uh, going on. So that's the reason why uh, they make sure that the the spins are in controlled places. Equally, if you're spinning at certain sections of track, say, uh, at, the, at the sort of the top of a half-pipe style twist, um, you know, that's, that's a point where a spinning sort of force combined with uh, sideways, sideways uh, G-forces would really become uncomfortable quite quickly. So they, they have to make sure that, um, that you're, you're not turning at these points. Yeah, and um, like I said, there's, there's quite a few really really sh well they're not, they're not as sharp as you kind of uh, feel maybe like, well you feel they are um but on the plans you can kind of see there are a lot of sharp turns that kind of go from one end and then turn around and back to get back again um and again that's when the uh the turtle kind of spins with it so it kind of adds even more movement more g-forces on that turn um scene nine which is the scene um after the lift hill, and um, that's the vortex, um, and it kind of does feel like you're in a vortex. That's when you're kind of joining the East Australian current. Uh, scene ten: kelp forest bubbles and water surface. Um, and obviously, they've put a lot of. It's uh, not much in the in, in. There's definitely not many um, practical elements or um, physical props in there at all, if any. Uh, but there are a lot of uh, lighting effects uh, spinning around. Again, you go, you are going so fast and are spinning that if you had too much to focus on, and um, it would just add to the effect of the uh, the disorientation, um, and it probably would actually make people more physically sick, wouldn't it? So probably less is more in this situation. It's more the sensation yeah. that you need. I think that's definitely true. Uh, as as you say, there's a lot of 
sort of gobos and projections going on, but they're they're quite faint. There's nothing too too strong. I wonder whether um, the reason why they don't go for the sort of very vibrant, very bright uh, blacklight style uh, physical features in the attraction, because there, there are points where the spins are relatively controlled. Um, I wonder whether the reason is because you need to sort of have two to make sure everyone can see it, or because you would then end up with, because it's it's all just one large, uh, basically open show building inside the, the gravity section, whether you then end up with, oh, you'd be able to see all of the different scenes sort of at once, but then, to be honest, I didn't really know that there were multiple different scenes in that drop section, in the <laughs> gravity section before no. before starting this podcast. <laughs> uh, the kelp forest, to be fair, actually, you you can tell because you there is a bit where you can see vaguely some sort of kelpy things above you, but it's not it, it's nothing too dramatic. It's not the same as say uh, Big Thunder Mountain or okay, I, I guess a better example would be uh, Space Mountain, Hyperspace Mountain, when you've got certain lift hill points with projections or when you go through know, the vortex or um, the sort of smoking meteor uh, in Space Mountain. Yeah. That's a very, very different feelings there. Yeah, and, and again, like you said, because it's just one, really just one big gravity room, um, they kind of are projecting light effects to the sides. So it's kind of when you went from one side of the room to the other and you'll see some more lighting effects on the side of the room. Because um, again, I don't want to highlight that the, st- the story is you are in the ocean and you are in this uh, East Australian current, so they don't really want to be highlighting the the track in anywhere, and they don't want they obviously don't want you to see really any of the turtles either because then you'll see the workings underneath uh, or on them. Um, the only section it, it, right at the end you'll see uh, the Nemo and Squirt. Um, actually, don't, I don't not, not sure if you see Nemo, but you definitely see some of the turtles. Uh, projected onto the wall as you uh, coming back into the station area, and that's when they, uh, they give you the safe, uh, the final farewell and stuff like that in scene twelve. Safe on the reef, uh, Nemo and Squirt give you a farewell. Um, it's very, very, very exciting. Um, I remember asking Noah as soon as he came off the attraction uh, whether he liked it or not, and he was so like jumping up and down. Yes, 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 he wanted to do it again. Uh, sadly, we couldn't go on it uh, the next day because the queue line was. Many many hours long, um, nine. I think it was, did you get to seventy five minutes? I think, um, and that was in a February half term, so it was probably one of the quieter school holidays, and it was still a really really big queue wait uh, for that attraction. Uh, is there anything else you think we need to cover about the different scenes or the actual um, ride and the attraction itself before we move on to the next section? Is there anything you no. think we've missed? I mean, to, to be honest, I, I think <laughs> the amount of time we've devoted to each sort of highlights the, the the difference in storytelling and quality perhaps you could say that you get between the ride of that a really I think a really great dark section ride to start off with and then what's effectively just a generic roller coaster in the dark with some gobos and projections and a couple of vague physical props around you it's a bit it's a bit like rock and roller coaster where all you've got is some stage lights illuminating stuff it's you know it's it's cool, it's okay, but it's it's not the kind of uh, dark ride experience that you'd chat home about that we'd expect now from from Hyperspace Mountain, uh, from uh, from now some of the, some of the new roller coasters that Disney are building. <coughs> Guardians of the Galaxy and Epcot, wonder what that might be. <laughs> um, while we're still talking about that 
um, the gravity room, uh, how it's different between the dark ride section and the gravity room section. Um, that kind of does link into the future. What do you? What would you see them doing uh, if they do make? If they did make some changes uh, to, and if they kept it as Nemo or Crush's coaster, what would you do to the gravity room to make it similar uh, quality of the, the start of the ride? Is there anything you think they could do? Um, I mean, first off, let's caveat this with it's definitely not going to happen because there's a lot of things going on in the studio and this is tiny priorities. Um, hypothetically speaking, though, um, I I'm sure there must be ways to separate. Maybe if you just put huge black, like stage black blinders um, across different parts of the ride that you'd be able to hide, hide different regions of the gravity section from other ones. Um, so that then you could put in these large physical props that are you know, brightly coloured, um, and you know, so, so, you know some of the some of the dark ride effects that you see in other roller coasters, like like your you know your Space Mountain, Hyperspace Mountain. That would that I think would be quite nice to see. There's I mean there are elements say that you use in Space Mountain. Uh, you know you've got the vortex, you've got as I said earlier that the that great bit where you sweep down through an asteroid that's got, you know, lighting and smoke in it. Well, there's no reason why that can't work for people facing in whatever direction. Um, and I'm sure those things could be could be themed to, to being underwater as well. So that, that would be a nice addition to see, I think. Um, and I'm sure, you know, some, some underwater faces with some projection mapping on could look really cool, right? Well, on the um, guests, what, are you talking about? what do you mean on... Um... I mean, probably. I, okay, uh, an example you could have if you had the uh, the break section at the end. If you had you going from, say, if you were in some rock work or whatever, you could have projection mapping showing you're underwater, you're underwater, lots of bubbles, lots of bubbles, and then whoosh, it all disappears and you're you're above water again. But it okay. would be really cool though if you could projection map live onto the turtles as they were going around, and then you could then that would be a focal point within the gravity ride then if you could then really see the other turtles going around and spinning or whatever highlighted by some lighting and projects mapping that'd be cool impossible pretty much because <laughs> um all all trains in a gravity section funnily enough travel at a different speed because they're all different weights and you know there's different wear on the tires and track and whatever oh, but wow that would be cool come to think of it they wouldn't need to be projected on you could just have some uh, turtles that are fully made out of leds yeah well, they like LED screens now, so LED screen turtles. <laughs> and then they could have, they could they could even have uh, sponsorship opportunities on there. I don't know. This this turtle is sponsored by Coca Cola. <laughs> Can't do that anymore. Sugar tax. Coca Cola light. There we go. <laughs> Much better. Um, yeah, I don't. Like I say, even though it is a bit of a mismatch between the dark ride section and the uh, gravity room section, probably isn't much you can do with it, even if. There was all the money in the world. Um, is there anything that you think they could do to um, the dark ride section? Uh, any new technology? Uh, we've already mentioned probably getting rid of the strobe lighting and adding some uh, flame or some smoke and dry ice effect, um, or even replacing uh, Bruce altogether and him doing, him doing something else. Um, could we um, see any other? Is there any other technology that's out there at the moment which maybe we haven't got in? The uh, dark ride section. I, I, to me personally, I think we need some more physical animatronics because Bruce had a couple of moving um, jellyfish 
kind of don't cut it really for a Disney attraction. Um, could we have some more physical Nemo flying around or... I don't know. Is there anything physical that you can do underwater? Um, I, I guess the problem that they'd have with, with lots of physical props, particularly if you have, say, a character, is that you, ha you have that problem of doubling them up again. Um, and you wouldn't want to be in a situation where, say, you could sort of accidentally see two at once. Uh, so you have to find the right points to place props that are doubled up to make sure that um, you don't you don't see them twice, which is quite a feat. Um, no, personally, I, I think they've they've done a really great job with the with the dark ride section. I I don't feel like there's any point of it where you think, oh, there's there's something missing here. You know, you, you're on a roller coaster. Roller coaster dark ride sections are never they're never too extravagant, but I I think it does a nice job of setting up the scene uh, in quite a colourful and, and exciting way, but also one that's still you know, it, because of the, the blacklight style that they've used is still very dark and it's it's not too playful, so when you get to the, the faster gravity section and you're pretty much in mostly black darkness there you're still quite prepared for that. It's not as if you've been in a environment that's got loads of lights and you know pretty props flying around left right and center you're already because of the blacklight style yeah fine you've got some small colored props and areas uh, but overall this you're still surrounded by darkness so I, I feel like they set the tone nicely with it yeah there's like i said there's not it's hard normally when we come to this section we can think of things straight away like we'll add this we'll do that um but like you said not much really that they haven't really done already because it does have the projection in there it does have the lighting in there it does have the physical um like scenery as well so i don't think there's much else to need um, and not much they can do in the attraction um totally devil's advocate this um this was never going to happen um if there could be a new theme um, I've kind of put down the show notes because, again, the the way that the attraction has been added together with the the kind of off-the-shelf element of the spinning coaster and then the dark ride section, the kind of it has it's been designed from day one, obviously as as a Nemo themed attraction uh, for Crush's coaster. Um, could an overlay happen to it? It's going to happen elsewhere with uh, Rock and Roller Coaster. Um, it's happened with uh, Space Mountain. Um, could it fit another theme or another IP? Uh, I've put on the notes here, Cars, possibly. Is there any other themes that you think may kind of link in or could be used on this already uh, set attraction? Who knows? Uh, Incredibles? Has he got an incredible spinning superhero coaster? Who knows? Could happen. That is quite topical as well, isn't it? What are the, what are the big franchises of Disney not? Not really used yet. I mean, we've got a lot of the big franchises coming to uh, coming to that park now. Which company? I mean, you, you, go on, sorry. You immediately think whenever whenever you know Disney might think about retheming something, you'd immediately go, ah, Star Wars or Marvel. But yes, bit a bit much to retheme that one to Star Wars or Marvel <laughs> well in that park. Um, who owns? Which company owns the rights to Tasmania Devil? Is the only thing I can think that spins around. Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers. Well, they'll probably end up owning that at some point. Disney won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You could have a Tasmanian Devil spinning Wild West ride or something, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, uh, this the future section, like I've said a second ago, it, it's normally quite easy if there's things that stand out, but it's hard to think of anything else that can go in there with what is physically there at the moment, isn't it? Uh, I think the, the, the biggest thing for me that needs to be done in the future, if it's ever on the plans, um, something that they need to look at, is the, the queuing area. 
and possibly doing something to entertain the guests in the long queue. Um, so they've tried the game, didn't really work. Um, not only does it eat into people's battery life, but it means that people are eat, like more more so than ever looking at their phones. Um, it's obviously intermittent, it's not working at the moment or wasn't. Um, is there anything else they can do? A lot of attractions have interactive queue areas now where you can, uh, if you've got your magic band on in other parks, you can kind of, uh, the signs with your name on the adverts, there's physical props. I know um, Christian, uh, who was on the Twitter account Formula Money, he's currently in America. Uh, he's been tweeting lots of images and videos of uh, kind of little Easter eggs in queue lines um, from using his magic band. Um, Disneyland Paris is bringing in the magic card which will have your room key, your fast passes, everything like that, uh, payment cards on there. Um, could it be that you swipe that? Um, it sets different elements um, and it kind of interacts, the lighting changes or there's like little interactive games or storyline elements in the queue line. Um, could the queue line be made inside? Could they actually put the whole of the queue line inside and theme it a lot more? Um, so you kind of... I don't know, you go, I suppose it's a nice transition, isn't it, going into the beach type of uh, entrance. Um, then you kind of go inside to the second part of the queue. But is there anything else you can think they can do in the queue line area? Um, Retheme flying carpets over Agrabah to seagulls flying over Sydney Harbour. <laughs> That's like a pre-show ride. Right there, yeah. My, my, um, my. To, to sort of kill a bit of time. Uh, and and then you carry on into the main queue for Crush's Coaster. So you're saying uh, the entrance to Crush's Coaster needs to be where flying cabret, cabret, flying seagulls over Australia. Um, <laughs> so you you start queuing there, and then part of the queue is you get on flying seagulls of Australia. Just two rides in one. Do a couple of uh, do a couple of cycles on that, and then join the rest of the queue when uh, it goes on into. I suppose it would, it would break it down, wouldn't it? would just make it a bit more fun yeah and has it ever happened before where there's an attraction within an attraction so the main like the pre-show is an attraction and then i suppose that's what pre-shows are designed for aren't they if you go to rock and roller coaster you've got the uh the studios that you walk through not much happens in there but that that's what a pre-show is designed for isn't it just kind an of... incredibly elaborate pre-show yeah <laughs> getting on a flying seagull then it drops you down onto a turtle yeah there we go We've just improved it. Solved it. <laughs> it's easy. easy. So what I want is somebody to mock up a flying seagull over uh, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that's, as well as having the question of the episode, that's definitely going to be the task of the episode. Somebody out there must be useful in Photoshop. <laughs> and uh, people have always said, even though, because on the, on the plans for Walt Disney Studios, the flying carpets over Agrabah are still there, and there's no plans that's been released so far of it changing. Um, so we've kind of given them the idea of what they can do with that now. Why don't they employ us, Andrew? We've said this a few times now. It's an important question. It needs <laughs> to be raised. Anyway, listener opinions. Oh, just, just before we head on to listener opinions, there's, there's one more thing that I that I want to raise because I, I think it's an it's an important point. Go on, um, rewind, and rewind. That's, exactly. That's that's just on the style of ride that Crush's Coaster is, um, and perhaps giving some sort of explanation to why it's so popular. Disney as a company is absolutely fantastic at making family roller coasters um, that that you know have have a really wide appeal. You think to the Big Thunder Mountains around the world. You think to most of the Space Mountains, though not the Space Mountain we have in Paris. You think to 
Snow White, Seven Dwarfs, Mine Train, you think to Expedition Everest, they're, they're all roller coasters that have really great appeal across an age range. Um, and we, considering Paris has such a large proportion of the roller coasters that exist in Disney parks, you know, by considering we, we have two Disney parks compared to, say, Florida having four, we have a lot of the roller coasters, um, and we have almost all of the inversions. Uh, that that Disney parks have. We don't have that many family rides, and I think that's one of the reasons why Crush's Coaster stands out, along with Big Thunder Mountains being so very popular. When roller coasters like Indiana Jones, Space Mountain, Rock and Roller Coaster, they're just, they're just a bit too intense for most people. When you particularly when you consider the sort of target audience that that a place like Disneyland Paris has. So I I think that needs to be stressed as a really important reason why Crush's Coaster is so popular and why I really hope um, with the rumours that we've got of a sort of Seven Dwarves Mine Train style uh, sleigh coaster coming to um, coming to Arendelle when it finally comes to the Studios Park. I really hope that's true because I think that's something that clearly there's huge appeal uh, to these these family roller coasters uh, and Disneyland Paris just doesn't doesn't seem to have that, and now we have these huge problems of the two family roller coasters that are there. They just don't have enough capacity to deal with the demand. Yeah, do you feel um, all the changes to Walt Disney Studios and making it actually a really full day park will it have an effect on the queue times, or do you feel are more people going to come to Disneyland Paris as a whole? Uh, in, in meaning that then people are going to spread out and the ride and queue times are still going to be the same as they are now. I know that right when Ratatouille opened, they expected Ratatouille would kind of take a lot of the pressure off uh, certain areas, and it kind of hasn't happened, has it? No, I think if you if you're building a theme park um, and you're expanding a theme park, if you believe that spending two hundred million on on a new attraction or whatever. Uh, is going to detract from the appeal of the rest of it so that you don't have a net increase in people coming to your park. You wouldn't spend the money on it. You'd spend the money on it because you believe that there'll be a net increase in the park so that then effectively there'll be X amount more people that'll go on this new attraction and the same amount of people uh, for the rest of the park. You expand because you you think you'll get more people through the doors. So it's quite often that you think, oh, new attraction will happen. Obviously, the queue for the original one will get smaller, but in reality, that happens very rarely, and a much bigger reason why attractions might uh, lose popularity is normally that they're getting old and a bit tired, and um, by modern standards, they just sort of cease to be great rides um, in comparison to that they've necessarily been superseded by something that's drawing, drawing the same crowds. Yes. I love how you explained that, and I can't really think of anything else to say. So we'll move on. <laughs> yeah! Listener opinions, let's go for tweets. Uh, Disney Goff, at Disney Goff on Twitter. Um, one of my top unique attractions at Disneyland Paris. He loves the blend of dark ride and coaster done very effectively. Fun ride system, but as has been said, the capacity, outer facade, and queue area is where it is let down. Everything he says I agree with. Yep, so do I. Next one's from Mitchell at Mitchell Disney. A really fun ride. The queue can be ridiculous, but it's a great ride and one I would love to ride over and over again. But yeah, so would we. It's a shame it's a 10-year queue. I know, I was going to say, if you're riding it over and over again, 
that means you can only do it about well six times in your lifetime if it's ten times <laughs> that's if uh, you don't start until you're so yeah, 70 on average 70 year old I would hope that I'm still going to Disneyland uh, Paris when I'm 70 years old actually I hope I'm a millionaire so I can go to all of them and just live around the different <laughs> Disney parks anyway David at Disney uh, it's a fun ride and I always enjoy it but it's not top five in the resort in his opinion with the exception exception of the short dark ride portion the theming is lacking overall the queue is also 90% terrible and the capacity is a joke one yeah, way of explaining I'm, it I, yeah quite brutal about the capacity but yeah I mean when you, when you think about the amount of people that come to a Disney park and when you think that this is a roller coaster based on a very popular franchise yeah, maybe they should maybe they should have thought about exactly how big the queue was going to be and <laughs> how much capacity was going to be an issue before. Next week's from uh, Telmo at Bar Barbosa Telmo. Very good attraction. One of eight uh, top eight attractions in all DLP. Only problem is the long waiting times and usual technical problems. That's interesting. Wonder wonder what you mean about technical problems. There. Yeah, I can't. Obviously, there's some attractions Disneyland Paris that you kind of know are going to be down at some point during your stay. Um, I can't think that Crush's Coaster was down when I was there, and the last few times I've been, it hasn't been. Maybe it's because it wasn't one I was looking to go to like outright straight away. Um, again, because it wasn't in my top list of attractions I must do on every trip, um, especially as it was my first time this time. Um, but I will be making sure that I look out for it a lot more in the future. Um, and if the wait time is anything lower than 60 minutes, I probably will go on to it definitely at least once every time I visit. Um, but yeah, it'd, it'd be interesting to know if you've got if there's actually a part, like a story behind that technical problem. Um, is it happening more often to you, or is it me? Was I lucky enough that every time I've looked at the attraction, it's always been open? I just haven't really followed the Crushes Coaster um, that closely. So let us know. Uh, Anna, yeah, do I, I, go on. I go on. The only thing I could think would be that obviously Disney rides are timed very well. They they know how long they expect each train to be in the station before it should depart. And obviously, when you've got a rolling station, um, you know you're trying to keep the trains moving, getting people on. When you then have times where you need to stop the trains in the station, you then you know you then end up with quite a build up. And I could imagine that trying to get that started again and getting that. Um, getting the sync going and getting all the trains in the right position on the track again to have uh, to be running at full capacity again. I imagine that could possibly take a little bit of time to uh, to sort of reset the attraction if you've had a if you've had a long stoppage and end up with the trains being being stopped in various places around the track. Yeah. Uh, Anna at DLP Anna, I do like this attraction. Uh, looking at it totally from a selfish point of view, as I love coasters and I also uh, often visit solo. Uh, if the time is right, I use single rider queue and never wait more than 15 minutes. Oh, how jealous am I? Uh, the dream. ride, that's a dream. Uh, the ride is then so smooth, especially compared to Aerosmith around the corner. Uh, yes, yeah, we haven't really mentioned how um, smooth the rides are. Um, it's actually quite a unique system as well, isn't it? Sitting in and the harness and stuff like that, because you've kind of got. Um, this thing that kind of goes between your legs and you hold on to and then kind of pins you in place, doesn't it? Um, and it, to be honest, it is quite comfortable, apart from when you're spinning around and you have no idea where you are. But again, it is smooth as well. So that's, uh, I agree, yeah, Anna. Um, yeah, I agree too. Although I disagree that Aerosmith isn't smooth. But Space Mountain. Space that's, Mountain, that's, yes, that's yes. That's a yes. roller coaster that's not smooth. I think Aerosmith, considering, I mean, considering the kind of inversions that you go through, I mean, that like Cobra roll to start off with. Um, 
No, I do, I'd say Aerosmith's a smooth roller coaster. Anyway, that's all the podcast is on, sorry. <laughs> Next tweet's from David at Wally Cologne. Uh, I really love the ride, especially the loading area and the theming of the lift hill. Uh, smiley face with love hearts. As for the ride itself, I think they could add more theming, uh, like a lot uh, of hanging blacklit balls to simulate the bubbles uh, rather than just projection. Oh, yeah. oh, there we go. That's answered the question for us that we were failing to answer, Andrew. Yeah. Let's get David on the show. Black lit lip there. Back li- I can't say black light lit balls. <laughs> Easy for you there to we say. go. We'll put that in. It's as if David has uh, been listening to our recording as tweeting does there. But that was <laughs> yeah. tweeted. That was probably tweeted months ago. Um, Jasmine at Jasmine DLP. I love the feeling of crush, uh, but I never ride it as it makes me very sick. All the tight turns. And going backwards really triggered my motion sickness, and I'll have a headache for hours after. For me, it's one of the worst rides in DLP. Um, it's such a shame, shame to hear this, but like I say, not every single attraction is for everybody. Uh, and we did mention as well that even though at just under 40 miles an hour, it doesn't feel... Well, it does feel fast, but if you look at it, it's not really going that fast. Uh, but if you've got the spinning into that as well, and the G-forces, and the fact that it's dark, and you some you just see some flashes of light, uh, people who do suffer from motion sickness, um, I can imagine, I can see how it would trigger um, certain ill feelings. Um, and it's just the same, isn't it? Especially as it is one of the most popular attractions in the Walt Disney Studios. I mean, the plus side to that is that um, if you don't like it, then you can save yourself a lot of queuing. Ten years of queuing, in fact. That is very true. Always look on the bright side. Always look on the bright side, yes. Next tweet's from Christina, at ChristinaKB17. We went to DLP for the first time last summer from the USA. Really enjoyed this ride. Think it's a reason to go to DLP. Love both the animatronics at the beginning and the cruising through the EAC. Feels like you could be there. P.S. Love being able to literally run their first thing. Can't run like that in American parks. <laughs> well, that's because the studio park is tiny and the American parks are really not tiny. Yeah, you'll be totally knackered by the time you've run to one end of the park. It's, it's a marathon if you want to cross Animal Kingdom or something. Linked into running in a park, have you run to any attraction ever before in any park? Um... I run to any traction. I mean, I've I've done the usual like rope dropped BTM, but yeah, I was thinking BTM's probably the only one I've done. I don't think I've ever literally run though. (laughs) Anyway, that's it. I think this is a cool opinion to hear though. Um, You know, given that we we spend so much time in the sort of Disneyland Paris community, being like, oh, the USA parts are so much better than ours. Oh, where do we have such rubbish things in ours? They've got all the cool things over there. Oh, look, they've got Avatar now. But there you are, that's, that's a tweet from someone who's, uh, who's clearly very familiar with the USA Park saying, look, this is, this is an attraction that is totally unique to uh, Paris, which I, I, you know, I really wish they'd let more attractions uh, be unique. Like, I'm kind of annoyed that they're building Ratatouille somewhere else and that you know, yeah. Star Wars Land and Frozen Land look like they're going to be identical to other places. Um, so no, I think, I think it's really cool that we, we do have unique rides. And although Crush's Coaster has its, has its flaws. Most people, you know, most of these tweets we're reading out so far are, are very positive, and that's cool that it's it's unique to us. And we don't condone breaking rules, so if definitely if you can't run in American parks, just walk very quickly to uh, Crush's Coast the next time the park opens. We don't want anybody getting injured. Imagine, uh, imagine if they did do the because uh, in the American parks, if, if you don't know, they have um, basically they they have cast members holding ropes. And they sort of slowly walk towards like That's the most right, popular yeah. attractions to stop people <laughs> just like legging it through. Um, 
Well, I mean, that'll be, I mean, the studio parts are that sort of, like, weird, um, two-pronged shape from the, uh, from the centre, so I'd love to see them, like, just, like, this large rope that just gets split in two, and they just sort of <laughs> part the ways, and nobody goes left, ever. <laughs> nobody ever follows the rope left. Yeah. Although, it will happen when, uh, Marvel, all the Marvel attractions start opening, I'm sure that will be a very popular end of the park. Well, possibly, yeah. Um, Cheesy One, at JHB Cheesy One. Uh, the attraction that is unassuming until you get to the lift hill. It goes up there very fast. You know that's the, it's different. Uh, but you know that it's different when people get off crying in fear. I love the ride, but think they made the mistake of opting for a low capacity ride, and you pay for this in queuing times. It's all mm-hmm. you know. Some when you've done this podcast for a while, and this is our nineteenth episode now, and we do really in depth detail. So that's why it's taken us so long to get to 19. Uh, but when, <laughs> when you've done this many podcasts on an attraction um, and you get so many uh, opinions and thoughts from people out there, um, you can kind of put it together. Every, everybody's saying the same thing. So it's obviously this is the message that's coming out there. And obviously Disneyland Paris will know this, uh, which is why they've introduced Single Rider, which is why they've tried Fast Pass. Um, but you kind of wonder if they didn't have an idea that this would happen at the start when they were planning it. Yeah, um, capacity, 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 capacity. Everyone's bringing it up. This one's from uh, Matteo Warno. I'm assuming that's meant to be pronounced in a French accent. Who knows? Across the coast is a great ride, but the wait line is way too long. I think but great for the sensation, in my opinion. There we go. Capacity again. Very good sensation. Um, I'm glad I've got this one. It's the longest tweet we received all of the... So long. Uh, <laughs> too many characters. Sarah Page. I think she's from England. At Sarah P. England on Twitter. I adore it. There we go. Short, sweet. I Rule do. Of three, isn't it? Three words. Um, you said before, a couple of people said it was in their top eight. Somebody else said it wasn't in their top five. Um, I don't want to ask you, because I don't, I'm not going to, I don't want to answer my question myself, but now I've ridden the attraction um, for the first time. Um, again, if the, forget about the queue line. If the queue line wasn't an issue, um, it would be definitely something I would try and do every single trip now. It, it can't, again, I've only ridden it once. So I've only managed to experience the East Australian current for that one time only. Um, but as I do like coasters, uh, it's one that I can go on with the whole family. Um, so I don't have to go on my own. Although using single rider on the Space Mountain is a plus. <laughs> it means... It's going to tempt you next time, isn't it, Andrew? It is. Uh, let's go on to some emails. Liam Findlay. Hello, oh, well, I've already made a mistake. It's hey. Hey, Andrew and Simon. Hello is not cool enough. The intensity of this ride was completely unexpected to me the first time I rode it in 2013. The spinning left me not knowing which direction I'd fall next, and the attractive, somewhat leisurely build-up makes all this even more unexpected. It stood out to me in my memories for this reason, but it's also the ride you can always trust to have a thousand-hour wait. I thought, uh, ten years, um... A thousand hours is actually quite a quick wait, isn't it? It's um, good, isn't it? Yeah, must be during extra magic hours. <laughs> extra, ma- extra magic time now, Simon. Come on. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so old. The hours weren't enough. Needed time. Time. Um, my second ride didn't feel quite so frantic, but I suppose that's because I knew what was coming. Yeah, I, I feel I often feel like this with uh, attractions at Disney. Paris, there's there's quite a few where they just they feel more intense than you ever expect them to. Across this coast is one of them. Uh, Indiana Jones as well. You look at it and you think, ah, oh, you know, it's, it's a sort of relatively small stock coaster. It's got one inversion, but you get on it, it suddenly feels like it's really fast and it's really quite intense. Obviously, everyone knows how how intense Space Mountain feels. 
Um, but yeah, no, this is this is definitely one of those where, I guess, particularly as well, given given the outside section, you you think ah that'll be quite calm, that'll be quite chill, but you know, it, it, in the darkness with a bit of spinning as well. Yeah, RC Racer is one that I always thought would be a really nice ride. That was very 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 well. I still to this day am thrilled by it. It was just so yeah. intense. The heart's still beating, isn't it? It is, yeah. Even when I was in the 10-hour, well, 10-day, well, 10-day, it's now gone down, 10-year uh, queue for Crush, I'm still going, wow, the RC racer. I think it's the fact that it goes past vertical, so you're kind of going over yourself again. And if you're at the uh, the back, you go right to the top. Anyway, that's a different podcast for a different time. <laughs> uh, but it just kind of links me with what you were saying there. You kind of, you, I didn't know what, to, you kind of look at it because there's nothing hidden on RC racer, and you totally didn't expect that it was that scary. Probably actually the most scared I've been on an attraction in Disneyland Paris so far. Wow. That's, that's a good accolade for RC Racer to have. Herbert, your turn. Next up, a uh, nice email from Herbert. Let's get straight to the point. What I really like about Crosses Coaster is that uh, it's a Disneyland Paris unique attraction and there is nothing nearly similar in any other Disney park in the world. The outside of the attraction looks a bit patched up uh, there is this beautiful design outdoor part, and in contrast, uh, the surrounding studio building, which should be remodeled soon. The outdoor queuing area is the second most boring one found at Disney Paris' resort, in my opinion, uh, only topped by the Armageddon queue. <laughs> uh, and the queue area is way too small. Redesigning it with some interactive elements and a completely new layout uh, here is desperately needed. Inside the building, I like the design and its atmosphere, maybe not directly looking up at the ceiling. The ride itself is like it's outside. One part of it is fantastic, the rest calls for a little bit more imagineering. The start, the outside part and the lift hill are truly Disney levels of detail, uh, but as soon as your turtle is released there's nearly no theming, only some projected light spots here and there and the video scene close to the end. There could easily be much more done. Just use some smoke and lasers to project water or imagine what could be done with smoke and projectors. It's no wonder why Disneyland Paris never managed to set up a fast pass system. The capacity of a thousand guests per hour is too low for such a highly frequented park, and to cut off capacity for fast passes and disabled guests makes the situation for normal riders even more uh, terrible. One solution could be to build a second identical track back to back, double capacity. Uh, Fantasialand in Germany did that with a similar type of ride, that's Winter Fear and Force. All this makes my mind split too. On the one hand, I like Crosses Coaster for its theming. On the other hand, I don't like the waiting times and missing uh, missing themes during the ride. By the way, your podcast is my beloved Disneyland podcast because of its deeply focus, uh, deep focus on single attractions. Magical greetings from Herbert, who's DLP celebration. Thank you. Lovely email. Um, the idea of back to back, it's a space to build the exact same ride again next to it. Obviously, we've got uh, the seagull ride now. <laughs> I uh, possibly, po- possibly the thing that would be a real problem would be you'd, you'd have to build to the side where where the seagull attraction is, <laughs> um, and then I think that studio building or that show building, gravity building, would be so big you'd probably be able to see it from um, Fantasia Gardens and possibly even even Disneyland Park. That might be a bigger issue than whether there's actually space. Uh, actually, is there? Come to think of it, because it gets remarkably close to the Disneyland Hotel. It is quite close, corner, yeah. Anyway. That that corner is quite close. Um, yeah. The um, um, it, it, like I said, though, it's one of those. I know the American parks have done it as well with uh, Midway Mania and Dumbo. I know that's on smaller uh, scale. 
Um, and it, so it is something they have done before, and it, they must have. And I, I know in some other parks as well, they've actually physically moved attractions and put them elsewhere where there is space, so they could actually build it twice as big. Um, it's not going to happen, but it's definitely a way that they could solve, like, well, double the uh, capacity, isn't it? Yeah, they have. I mean, they have, uh, have built roller coasters in double before. They, um, there's a spinning roller coaster, not the same type of spinning roller coaster at all, um, in Animal Kingdom. Uh, Florida that's that's doubled up so I mean, you know it's, it's definitely not without uh, uh, not that premise um really great idea uh, in here about the use of smoke uh, and projectors or you know sort of water screens and projectors that kind of thing uh, like you have uh, on Pirates of the Caribbean when you've got Davy Jones and Barbosa. Barbosa, yes. Barbosa. There we go. When you've got those faces being projected onto onto mist, yeah, that could look really cool. The only problem, of course, would be that those kind of projections, they're not not very clear. So if you're travelling at speed or you're spinning, I mean, they might just be just not viewable. But I don't know. I'm no scientist. I would, I would probably think they would probably make you sick. Um, the only thing I could feel, well, what about actually pumping real bubbles in people's faces so you get the sensation <laughs> of little, little bubbles popping on your face? That could I think work. This is good. We'll we'll have the uh, what is it the the cast member rotating yeah, individually right. all of yeah. the gobos, and we'll have a cast member stood blowing on a one bubble of the block sections on the, on the uh, catwalk by it, just blowing bubbles at people. <laughs> but they could have a machine doing it, but would have one of those little tubs. There's, they've got a box full of little bottles of liquid <laughs> blowing with the tiniest little plastic blower. Maybe, little... maybe that's what they need to do. That could be the interactive element of the queue. They just have someone that just hands around some, some <laughs> like bubble liquid and bubble blowers. <laughs> I'd love that. I, I'd be easily amused for an hour if they gave me one. <laughs> just in the queue, it bubbles everywhere. Oh, bubbles everywhere. And you could have them themed as well. Oh, it'd be so much fun. You can buy them, you could buy extra top-up liquid in the, uh, the the shop, because there's not a shop on this attraction, is there? You're missing out. Well, you, that, you don't have a, a gift shop on exit, you have a gift shop on queue entrance, where you, <laughs> you buy this stuff, and yeah, more money-making for the park. There we We're go. We're so good at this. We're so clever. Actually, joking aside, I know you've got nowhere to put your bags if you're buying something before you get on the attraction, but... I know in a lot of shops, especially in the UK, at the till area, they've got so much merchandise, whether it's chewing gum or chocolate, stuff you didn't even go into the shop for, but you normally pick some up because it's there and you're in a queue. It's a really good time. Um, could they have... Mm. We'll get on to photo, um, photo Pass later on, because I know it comes up in Alan's email. Um, strap in for that one. Um, <laughs> but I know... Is there no, could they not have any like photo locations or like photo pass or even if it's not if it's like static cameras if the layout was a lot bigger could they have static uh, cameras where again if you've got the magic pa- uh, card uh, similar to the magic band uh, in uh, Florida could they not have it so you basically just scan it yourself and you'd kind of do it yourself and by the time you've interacted with this system and took a photo or printed off a bit of merchandise or bought a keyring kind of takes some like fills in some of the time doesn't it? I think that could be a really cool idea. Um, I mean, you, know, you would you might not even need to sort of put a put a camera in certain places. Just put like a sort of selfie sign, and then uh, have have something that people can stand in front of and take their own picture of. Yeah, yeah, that could be a could be a really cool way to do it. That or you know you just 
instead of a game app, you just have like a just a shopping app, and people just buy stuff while they're bored. <laughs> people do that. I do that. Amazon's a dangerous place when you're bored. There we go. Have a sponsorship as well. Everyone in the queue gets ten percent just while they're in the queue. <laughs> Disney can make money on the commission. They've done something with their time. Winner, winner. Chicken dinner. Uh, George Hart via email. Hi, Andrew and Simon. First of all, thanks for the fantastic podcast. You're welcome. As far as I can remember, I think this is my first time writing, uh, but I'm a long time listener and always enjoy hearing your discussions on all things DLP. I really enjoy. George. Hello, hello. Uh, I really enjoy Crush's Coaster and I think it is one of DLP's most underrated attractions, especially now that it's somewhat overshadowed by its rodent neighbour just around the corner. True, the queues are long, but if you ask me, this is more to do with the ride system being pretty slow to load uh, than it being insanely popular. And this slow loading is my only major criticism of the attraction. That said, the mobile game they made for guests to pass time in the queue is a nice touch. In terms of the experience itself, it's brilliantly executed marriage of a coaster and a dark ride and is a fantastic use of the spinning coaster ride system to tell a believable story within the Finding Nemo universe. The dark ride section near the start is really enjoyable and does a great job of building anticipation for the more thrilling coaster section whilst also communicating the story really well. All accompanied by the beautiful atmospheric soundtrack, something we haven't actually talked about, uh, that really immerses us in the undersea world. The coaster part is surprisingly intense and thrilling due to the spinning and the darkness. Intense and thrilling to a far greater extent than I ever expected before riding the attraction. This is definitely a huge positive. You really could be spinning through a wild ocean current, so it's not too hard to, to suspend your disbelief. Overall, I see this is one of the studio's strongest attractions, and I expect it to remain so even post-expansion. It's that good. So minor retheming to the show building's exterior may be useful if the park moves away from its studio identity, but that doesn't look like right now. Doesn't look like right now. Doesn't look right. No, I kind of lost what I'm saying now. Doesn't look likely right now. There we go. So all I think really needs doing is uh, sprucing up that midsection of the queue with all those endless switchbacks. Any attraction unique to DLP is a real plus in my book too. Thanks again for the brilliant podcast, George Hart. Thank you, George. Um, it does again. Having done the first ride of this in February, and I keep saying it, but it does. You do really feel that you're on the uh, East Australian current. I've never done it before. I hate being in water, uh, but that's how I kind of feel the sensation would be. Obviously, I'm breathing throughout, so that's one positive. The only thing that could do to make it more realistic would be to put you underwater, uh, but every other effect and every other sensation is there, isn't it? Kind of does its job. Yeah. Um, you know, we haven't talked about the uh, the music, um, and we, we really should have done. Obviously, uh, text extracts from uh, from the film. I think it's, it's Thomas Newman's score. The uh, the original soundtrack to Finding Nemo. Might be wrong about that. You can um, yell at me on Twitter if I'm wrong. Um, obviously, you you have the the first dark ride section with the sort of small twinkly bits of music uh, that are very pretty, and then you have for the East Australian Current, of course, uh, classic sort of Surf Shack style music, which. Um, yeah, I, I've never known quite what I've thought about the uh, the Surf Shack style, um, you know, sort of surf guitar style sound music that you have in the uh, in the gravity section. Because uh, part of me feels like it's a little bit weird. It's not yeah. it's not an onboard synchronized soundtrack, so it's not necessarily fitting to the bit of track that you're on. So, say Surf Shack can feel a little bit weird when you're on a flat section for for a 
block break section. Um, and then equally, does going from the twinkly bit at the start, does the music really segue properly into the into the Surf Shack style bit? I'm not quite sure it ever really does. Yeah, so I don't I don't really know quite how I feel about that. It's it doesn't quite hit the mark, but then equally, Surf Shack's quite fun. Uh, for anyone also that doesn't know, the original uh, the first Sobat that they ever put onto a Space Mountain ride was. Uh, was a Dick Dale Surf Shack style track, so imagine a Space <laughs> Mountain with with that literally that style of music. Um, it can work very well. Um, we've obviously seen in the past when they've upgraded ride vehicles or trains when they've put the onboard sound system on. Uh, it obviously affects the weight distribution and the rides are different. I mean, the, the last thing we want to do with this is change any ride vehicles and make it uh, less reliable and slow things down even more. Um, <laughs> but if could they have? I know that there's not really, well, there is headrests, but there's not really any places on the Turtles Force onboard sound system. Would it make a difference if they did and they had some more timing that could, like, the music could tell more of the story, um, like following your turtle? Maybe some more vocals. Um, again, if we have the uh, magic card uh, system in place so it knows that, like, four of the guests on the turtle are English, so they're going to have the English soundtrack and actually have some voices telling you what's happening or shouting different things about what what you're going past or whatever well certainly what we've seen from from the listener opinions that we've been going through so far is that that dark ride section pretty popular uh but there's there's a feeling that there's a, there's some level of theming that's missing from from the gravity section so maybe that's one of the things that could sort of help to tie it together if you, if you did have a synchronized onboard soundtrack and i'm sure i'm sure they'd be able to find a place that you could you could put some uh some speakers so that everyone in the car could could hear it easily even though you don't you don't have sort of conveniently placed headrests yeah that could definitely be one point that you know there's there's lots of different coaster elements that are used from drops and dives you know hills helixes twists turns there's lots of different elements that if they were synced up properly to music much like in rock and roller coaster you know if it all syncs properly then even if there's not much theming around you, it can really feel like there's something going on and really tie elements together. So yeah, I mean that perhaps is the the je ne sais quoi that's that's missing in that. What does je ne sais quoi mean again in English? No, oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, you've said it, so you must know. You're speaking French now, man. Come on. <laughs> we'll find out and we'll let you know next episode. <laughs> <laughs> big mystery, big mystery. There'll be so many people who are shouting at their headphones right now. If you're sitting on a bus to work on Monday morning and you've just shouted what it means, I do apologise if you're getting funny looks. <laughs> anyway, next email, Simon. Go on. Next email uh, is from uh, Delang Dimitri. Hey guys, I've listened to your podcast for quite some time now. Uh, even though I find it's a shame, sometimes it takes a long time in between episodes. I'm late to love getting in the way. <clears throat> yes, sorry about that. Whoops. Anyhow, onto my opinions on quality, not quantity. <laughs> Are we heckling our listeners now? Sorry, Andrew? sorry, yeah. That's what I'll, we've descended. I'll to. stand back. I'll stand back. <laughs> as far as the spinning coaster goes, uh, in its own right. It has nothing really spectacular going for it. The spinning isn't comparable to any other spinning coasters of this type, uh, such as Winger's Fear and Falls in, in Fantasyland, for example. Uh, but I can see that this is done on purpose to give the coaster the biggest possible target audience. But in this, in this aspect, it's a tame ride. Now onto the theming. This is where a lot of the Disney magic comes into play. Interestingly, Disney magic, one word there with no space in the middle. I think that's a cool new verb that we've got. Disney magic, uh, TM. 
That's it. Registered trademark. <laughs> Sorry, from the outside it looks too plain, uh, being just a big studio hanger with a little rock work added onto it. Uh, but on the inside is where it really shines. Once you exit the plain cattle pen queue line, you enter a well-designed station, thank God, and a single rider's line. Once you leave the station, you go up a small lift hill, go outside for a little pass-through, and then the real story starts. Won't cover it all, because I know you will have covered every section in the ride very thoroughly, uh, but the story is nicely told in this attraction, with all the elements being there, even in the main part of the ride, there's lots of theming all around. Although this attraction is short, has horrible queue lines, and is mostly just overrun by crowds, it's still a ride I try to do every time I get to the park. I do it as soon as the park opens, during extra magic hours. It's the only time when that queue line is really bearable. It's a sign of how terrible the set of the park's rides are at the moment. The fact that a decorated carnival coaster can become <laughs> such a great ride in the park. Dot, dot, dot. Well, it's a sign of how badly the studios needed their investment. As an annual pass holder, I have faith that this will get fixed in time, though, uh, now. And with that, the crowds at Crush Coaster will go down to a more normal level once the new areas are open. All in all, I like Crush, uh, but it doesn't deserve the state it has right now in the park, being one of the most visited rides. Thanks for the great show, uh, and greetings from Belgium. Everything, uh, well, the fact it says there, the uh, decorated carnival coaster, I suppose that's what you kind of, you risk it, don't you, if you go and take things off the you shelf. You take stock, right? Yeah, yeah we, ex we expect, I mean, it's talking about Disney magic, we expect everything to be handmade by each individual Imagineer. Um, I want every single Imagineer, whether you're um, designing, um, I don't know, the costumes or the music, I want them to be in building the roller coaster, getting the river gun out and putting it up from their plan. <laughs> I don't want some other company coming in and doing it. Um, obviously, it's done to save time and money. If there's something you want uh, that fits the story, then you don't need to go out there and build it yourself. Um, but it is a shame if you can ride the same type of attraction um, like our Rock and Roller Coaster, for example, that exact same uh, ride is the, the layout as well is out there in different uh, different parks across the world. Um, obviously, the theming is what Disney do well, and they beat every single uh, carnival coaster in quotation marks out there due to the theming. Um, but I can see why he uh, why he's put that in there. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that email basically just sort of summarised the whole podcast, really. We could have saved people a lot of time and effort if we just read that out at the start. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> we'll do that next time. We'll do that. Actually, we won't. I'll tell you what the next episode's going to be later, and we're going to spend about four hours on that one, if possible. Oh, that's <laughs> going to be a big one. Uh, hello. Uh, Alan Wheeler. Uh, hi to the magical DLP crew. I feel like I need to do some kind of rap now over this one. Uh, my family is very split over this ride. My wife and daughter love it. My son thinks it's okay. And we'll do it now and then. Um, and I will not now ride the ride. Uh, I like the outside of the building where the ride vehicles spend their fleeting moment outside. But I do have some issues with this ride. The queue line is just impossibly boring and slow moving. When the queue game was working, it was a little better. But I've only ever ridden the ride twice. It meets my basic rideability conditions of not going upside down. And sort of meets the not going backwards. Well, the cars keep going forwards at least. But... The spinning is just awful. When I come off the ride, I just feel sick. The last time I rode it, I had to sit down before leaving for about a quarter of an hour, so I made this decision not to ever ride it again. I also think it's not very Disney. By the outside theme, and the type of ride system is pretty much identical to a ride I've been on at Chessington. Well, Disney should have been doing it better than the UK arrivals. Still lots of people love it, uh, so it may have a long life. Regards, Alan. Um, again, now, 
at the moment, I'm loving this attraction and I love roller coasters. Uh, and I know my um, fa there's people in my family who were the same at my age. Um, and as they've got older, uh, their life has moved on and their, their bodies have changed. And they obviously maybe can't do them anymore. So obviously I'm going to um, take uh, what I can now. Because who knows, everyone's the same. Everyone might change. Opinions change. Your body physically can't accept, uh, can't. Uh, take on different demands um, now this is nothing to do with Alan by the way it's just his uh, opinion has kind of thought uh, kind of brought this to me um, but yeah uh, I'm hoping that I'm never going to get to the situation where um, like spinning or an attraction like this does make me feel sick because uh, it is what I love about going to this land Paris um, and it is a shame that people are feeling sick when coming off it um, it does go to show though that um, Disney uh, do try and cater for lots of different people with lots of different um, um, abilities to ride certain attractions um, and it'd be a shame that if they didn't do something like this in the possibility that some be, somebody would be sick um, but yeah what else can we say about that um, Q-Line is slow um, it's quite funny when uh, families do kind of not argue but are very split over attractions because that just makes your whole holiday uh, and time in the packs that a little bit harder. Where do we go? What do we do? Who's going to win? Um, does does Alan sit outside and watch Alan? Do you, do you sit and watch the people uh, in your family uh, going on the outside section, or do you use that time, especially when they'll be queuing for ten years? Um, do you use some time of your life to go off to the seagull attraction, or do you go on Tower of Terror? Um, let us know, Alan, because I'm sure you will reply. Um, Can't go on the seagull. Now attraction it's time for another. That's obviously a pre-show. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, nice, true. Although there yeah. will be an ex there will be an exit option, surely. I've done the pre-show now. I'm going to have to exit before I get to the main event. Um, hey, but there's another eight years of queue coming. I don't know how we've managed to do this, but yet again, uh, we've got it. We take turns reading out the listener opinions, and you've got this massive one from uh, Cafe Fantasia. Oh, of course, yeah. Anyone who uh, listens to the podcast frequently will know that we we get some huge emails in from uh, from Alan, who's obviously at Cafe Fantasia on Twitter. Um, but they're incredibly well researched, so we read them all in full every time. Hi, Andrew and Simon. Here's my opinions. I first rode Crush's Coaster over ten years ago on the 18th of January 2008. Back then, I was blown away by it. It was much better than I was expecting, and I immediately wanted to ride it again. I found it addictive. The last time I rode Crush's Coaster was on the 15th of November 2017. It's definitely an enduring attraction because, after all these years later, I still really enjoy it. Here's what I tweeted immediately after stepping off it. We've just come off Crush's Coaster. That was so, in block capital letters, much fun. It's such a crazy and unpredictable ride. I love it. Crush's Coaster is deceptive and misleading. To the average guests uh, who only see the exterior drop out of the front, it looks like a kiddie coaster. And the theme, Finding Nemo, makes you think it'll be something that's very gentle and tame. So it can be quite a shock when you first ride it and realise quite how tall and intense it is, especially that main drop backwards in the dark. Because it's a spinning coaster, Crush's Coaster is highly repeatable. You really have no idea which direction you're going to be travelling in, and it's truly different every time you ride it. But here are some of Alan's ideas on how to improve the ride. First off, dual tracks. The biggest problem with Crush's Coaster is its capacity, which is... Uh, 1,020 people per hour, which is unusually low for an attraction in a Disney park and results in the uh, consistently long queue times. In the past, Disney have built coasters with dual tracks, such as the Matterhorn Bobsleds at Disneyland, uh, which has a Fantasyland track and a Tomorrowland track, Space Mountain at Walt Disney World, which has an Alpha track and a Mega track, 
so one, albeit very expensive solution, would be to double up the track uh, so that the experience exists in double. Next point, to improve the animatronics. Crush's Coaster features currently features five animatronics, which is the two seagulls, uh, two anglerfish, and the one Bruce. Yeah, just the one Bruce. Good night. They have extremely limited motion and are really just animated figures. So I think it would be nice to upgrade these figures so that they're slightly more elaborate and more of the quality that you might expect to see in a Disney park. Finally, uh, oh, it's not finally, actually. This is, this is a long email. Uh, <laughs> next point, then, better exterior queue. The exterior covered queue, especially since it's redesigned in April 2014, is visually a very plain and very boring place to wait. It's supposed to represent a Sydney Harbour, but it's clearly not Disney quality. So, what if flying carpets over Agrabah was removed and that area became a location for our new highly themed and immersive experience, uh, queue experience for Crush's Coaster? Well, it's not going to be removed because we already, we already decided it's going to be the pre-show, the new pre-show. Uh, attraction, the first ever pre-show attraction, the seagulls over the harbour in Australia attraction, coming really? soon. And now we move on to the final point from Alan, uh, which is to add PhotoPass. There are currently only two attractions in the Studios Park offering uh, the PhotoPass service, that being Rock and Roller Coaster and Tower of Terror. So what if PhotoPass was added to Crush's Coaster? Uh, Alan did a poll about this in 2017, and after 355 votes, 64% of fans uh, chose Crosses Coaster as the attraction they most wanted to add photo pass to. An ideal spot to put the cameras would be outside, just after the exterior drop. Kind regards, Alan from at Cafe Fantasia. Oh, and uh, just a little bit to add on to the end. I think Bruce the Shark should occasionally say, Hello, possums! Since Bruce Humphreys, <laughs> the English voice of Bruce, also performs Dane Edna. If you um, if you don't follow Alan on Twitter, by the way, his knowledge of uh, how Dame Edna can be a connecting link between Disney park attractions is stunning. <laughs> um, I did actually spend quite a lot of time trying to find a quote, like a sound clip of um, Bruce Humphreys uh, saying "Hello, possums." I couldn't find one that was good enough, but if you listen back a few half an hours ago. Um, um, Simon did do a very, very good impression. The one you've just done then wasn't so good, but the one from before was very, <laughs> very good. Um, I think normally we kind of just sum up things really, really quickly, but I'm going to quickly skim down this um, and go through each section. Um, thing that stands out there, Kitty Coaster. Um, it does, it does look like a, I wouldn't say a Kitty Coaster, but it does look quite tame, doesn't it, on the outside bit. Um, mm-hmm. On the videos that are on the, uh, the TVs in the hotel room as well. And the promotional videos you see on YouTube, um, it, it attracted my son, who is five. So if he's thinking, yeah, that's fine, uh, it, it, he did regret that decision once he got on the attraction and it started spinning. He would, he's already told me he would do it again, uh, but now he's felt the experience of spinning around. It probably will take some kind of um, bribery, probably get him onto it again. Because um, even though he was put on a brave face, I, he, he was very scared. Um, but he did enjoy it, though, which I suppose is what a fill attraction is all supposed to be about, isn't it? Um, what else we got? We already mentioned the the dual tracks, um, 1,020 per hour. So you could obviously double that to uh, 2,040 per hour. Look at the maths on there. Um, that's still probably quite low, though, isn't it? I suppose. Really? For a roller coaster, it's For not a, huge, no. Not huge, even if you double it. Um, Animatronics. I completely forgot about the seagulls. Um, they, so they're like on the top of the control booth in at the station, uh, bouncing their head up and down. Um, I don't know. They're obviously in there because they are such a big part of the Finding Nemo franchise, um, big part of the story. Um, 
the kind of the heads are just bouncing up and down and the wings are flapping a little bit so yeah if they did uh, if they improve them it wouldn't really add much difference to the attraction but it would make it, i don't know it would add more to the disney disneyness of it uh disney magic tm because um they are quite cardboardy in their animation um exterior we've already discussed and we've kind of mentioned that we won't be putting the queue area in uh carpets over Agrabah as that is now going to be the special pre-show slash queue uh, seagull attraction for Crush's Coaster. Um, fast pass definitely something that needs to be added. We were just talking before about the queue area possibly having a photo um, a photo pass kind of point in there um, but the photo pass is lacking photographs that you could actually purchase especially in Walt Disney Studios Park um, so uh, admit going to be a money maker for them because the amount of people who buy photo pass uh, there's probably still more people who buy each individual attraction ride photo um so surely there's money to be printed there by adding that technology and it's not really a fast section is it um it could even go into some of the dark ride areas um before you well after you've done the outside section before you go up uh, into the subway to the lift hill um, or you could disguise the camera flash with the uh, with the crazy strobes. There we go, Bruce. Bruce. There we go. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a po- maybe it's just a camera that no one ever plugged into the computer before. Huh. <laughs> um, every episode for a while now, we've asked for your audio opinions. Um, I'm not very good at reminding you to send these in, but when I do, um, I'm very disappointed with how many people. Uh, send them in. I know it's quite scary to send your voice in and I've even recorded things for this podcast myself on my own and it's a lot easier to speak to people uh, well, not face to face because we're doing this over Skype over many hundreds of miles uh, but doing it like when you know there's somebody at the other end is a lot easier than talking to yourself into a microphone uh, but this time we've got Pla- Lake Wade from Plaza Gardens on Twitter. He has sent us some audio and we're going to play that now. Hey, Andrew and Simon, what can I say about Crush's Coaster other than awesome attraction? One of the fan favourites of Walt Disney Studios. That's, I mean, that's the attraction that everyone's running over to at park opening. Cool ride, goes outside, spins around in a dark room. Cool visuals, cool story. Everyone loves Crush, right? Everyone's a favourite for, for Finding Nemo. Yeah, love it. I think uh, it just needs, um, it needs something sorting with that queue system it's too slow it's really boring they tried the app they tried the games they've since taken that away and switchbacks are just so long there um if they can figure out some way to keep you more entertained there it's a, it's a winner uh, so yeah uh, lake talked about how it's an awesome attraction definitely a fan favorite um kind of links back into running over to the attraction as well from the uh, listener earlier on um queue line as always entertainment needed um thank you very much uh, lake for that uh, make sure you follow him on plaza gardens on twitter um and next time we're doing our podcast please make sure you send us an audio clip in there it's great to hear your voice it really is yeah lots of people do it come on apple podcasts itunes we've had one and I'll let you read this one out. I know you read the uh, Cafe Fantasia email, but I'm feeling feeling generous. You can read this one out as well. Oh, well, I mean, I you know, I do like reading praise about us. Uh, so from Matthew Wano from Belgium, uh, five stars, great. I'm traveling every morning uh, with the train to school, and I listen uh, to your podcast in the morning. I've just recently found your channel, and it's great. Uh, so it makes the time go so much faster. I'm learning about my favorite European park, Disneyland Paris. 
Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. We've come to the uh, end of the show now. Uh, before we introduce what we're going to be talking about next, uh, just a little plug on our Redbubble account, redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash magical DLP. We do have um, a limited number of designs. Uh, if you want some T-shirts, phone covers, there are a few um, loosely based on Disneyland Paris um, IPs. Obviously, we're not allowed to link anything for copyright reasons, uh, but if you would like us, also if you like anything that's on there, um, purchase something a tiny little bit of the profit comes back to us and uh, it helps us pay for the hosting etc etc um the focus of the next episode of the magical dlp podcast will see me and simon discussing cafe de cascadeurs totally different kind of podcast episode um let us know your opinions. Email us at podcast at magicaldlp.co.uk or message us on Twitter, Facebook or via our website magicaldlp.co.uk. Don't forget you can now also send in your opinions uh, verbally. Uh, record your views on your laptop, your PC, your tablet or your smartphone and send them in via email. If you like what we are doing, don't forget to leave us a five-star review and get in touch. This podcast is nothing without you. Um, thanks for joining us for episode 18 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast. Before I say the ultimate goodbye, is there anything you would like to say, Simon? Disney, please remodel the queue. Thank you very much. Hashtag um, seagull attraction. Pre-show. Pre-show, pre-show, pre-show. <laughs> Until next time, I'm getting hungry thinking about the next episode. Oh, so am I. Café de Cascadeurs, give us your opinions. Yum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See you later. Goodbye. Goodbye. Awesome, dudes! Now, stay seated, then climb on out toward the boathouse. Catch you later, little dudes! C'était trop cool! Mortel! Restez assis et grimpez jusqu'à la sortie par le hangar à bateau, ok? Mine, 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 m